God bless him as always online right away. To Dick. Uh, yeah, wait. Wait for a few people. We have two, three. Oh, Hashem. Okay. Okay. Okay, like that. Wait for two minutes and we'll start. Yes, Hashem. Hashem, we are up to Musar Pikavot number ninety. Hashem, it's a uh, it's been a uh, the biggest uh, series yet, even though we have another one a series that we parashat Shavua. That as I think 120, 130, we repeated some of the same parashot a couple of times, even though it's new material. Uh, but Baruch uh, Hashem, series is going well. Lots of chidushim, lots of uh, new ba'alei tshuva. Baruch Hashem, we just had three ba'alei tshuva outside. I'll tell you a story in a second. But uh, also, the uh, shiur will be for refua uh, shlema. To uh, Levana Bat Sarah, Sarah Bat Levana, Doris Bat Jora, uh, David Ben Esriya, um, Elisheva Chaya Bat Sarah, um, uh, Rav Ephraim Ben uh, uh, Shulamit, uh, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, um, Rachel uh, Bat uh, Shulamit, Hannah Bat Miriam, Mercedes, Dvora Bat Mercedes, and Bezad Hashem, all of Am Israel will have Refuat Shlema, Refuat Anefesh, Refuat Aguf. So, uh, first and foremost, Chag Sameach, Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat Igiya, Chag Ailanot. As a song, I remember from when I was maybe 30 something years ago, when I was a little kid. Used to sing the song. Tu bishvati gia chagailanot. You know the song? I guess I'm probably too young. You don't know that song. Said Good song. He knows the song. Baruch Hashem. At least not the oldest one. Baruch Hashem. Tu bishvati gia. So, uh, probably, yeah. It's a different. Ah, said it. Baruch Hashem. So, tu bishvat. Tu bishvat. A lot of people, um, like to be shvat. Why is very, very little things to do as far as, you know, mitzvot, you know, in regards to obligation to go to synagogue, normal, like any other day. Tfilot, normal, like any other day. You don't have to fast. In fact, you should eat extra food. So people like those kind of holidays, like Purim, like Hanukkah. But to be shvat is not really just about eating some fruits, uh, a lot of people like to eat the dry fruits, which uh, is not exactly the best idea for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, the a lot of these fruits come, even though they have, you know, obviously, first of all, you have to make sure that they're kosher. Because unlike a regular fruit that you buy from a store, these dry fruits, they put chemicals on them. 
different things, different added ingredients to the fruit. So the added ingredients have to be kosher. So you have to make sure that whatever you bought these dry fruits in is a kosher. Uh, and the reason why is because the goyim do not have the same obligation like Jews to make sure that certain things are clean, that they uh, don't have worms and maggots and uh, all types of other interesting bugs in the food. It's okay. If you, have, if you find a fly in a, uh, in a, in a hamburger in McDonald's, they're going to tell you, I'm sorry, we'll give you a new hamburger. You can't sue them for it. And they're not going to feel bad about it. They're not going to go home and say, Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu. They're not doing tshuva. Accident. Happens. Okay, there's a little bug. Usually there's bugs, you just don't see it. They took it with the bug. What? You saw it this time. We're sorry, sir. We're sorry that you ate the fly. You saw the fly that you're about to eat. You should have uh, taken the bite instead. You would have missed the whole thing. But it's not, a, it's not a, against their religion to have bugs in their food. And as a matter of fact, some people are machmirim. All they eat is bugs. You go to different, par- different parts of, of, of Asia... They have entire dinners full of huge bugs. Sometimes they're alive, sometimes they're dead. Depends. Am Yisrael is Am Kadosh. Am Yisrael is a holy people. Kedoshim to you, Kiani Kadosh. Hashem says, be holy because I am holy. To be holy, you have to act different from the rest of the world. And we're not allowed to eat bugs. Um, there is a certain type of bug-like uh, that used to be eaten, which was the, um, uh, it's not a grasshopper really, It's a, uh, but it looks like a grasshopper. But today, only in the old Yemenite uh, keilot, which I don't believe there's any really in America. Uh, I mean, there are keilot of Yemenites, obviously there are Yemenites in America, and Baruch Hashem we have a few in the Shiul. But keilot of, of, of Yemenites, old-fashioned, you know, it's really in Yemen. They still eat it. They still eat this uh, this specific grasshopper-like uh, bug. Uh, why are they allowed to do it? Because this bug is actually kosher. Kosher in, according to the Torah. So how come we're not allowed to eat it? Because we can't tell the difference. From a regular grasshopper to the kosher grasshopper. We can't tell the difference, and it's not part of your tradition. Therefore, you're not allowed to eat it. They can't. There you go to Yemen. They'll tell you which one is kosher, which one is not. But here in America or in Israel and different parts of the world, we don't have that tradition and not allowed to eat it. Otherwise, there's no bugs that's allowed for Am Yisrael. In fact, it says in the Torah, when you eat a bug, when you, when you eat a bug, bam, and you become impurified. It impurifies your soul. So the sages say, what does it mean, v'nitmetim bam? It says, if you notice in the parasha, the word nitmetim, there's a missing aleph. The word netmetim is missing aleph. So you could also say venetamtim. What's netamtim? You become stupid. What's stupid? The guy built a building. How come he's stupid? You're not stupid. The guy can do uh, math in his head. 5,000 uh, divided by 3.675. In his head, two seconds. He's not stupid. No, not stupid like that. Stupid meaning spiritually stupid. You go to Shul Torah 20 years, still didn't do tshuva. Some people go to Shul Torah 20 years, still didn't do tshuva. Why? They're still eating bugs. Still eating bugs. Every time a person eats a bug, whether it's a worm or a maggot or a fly, it's all the same. It's five different sins, the equivalent of eating five cups or five uh, bites of pig. Five five bites, you know, you tell a regular Jew that still has some level of Yirat Shamaim, some level of connection to Hashem, you tell him you violate Shabbat, yeah, I don't keep Shabbat. 
You tell them uh, you uh, go out with non-Jews? Yeah, sometimes. You tell them you eat pig? Hey, hey, what do you think I am? A goy? Relax, relax. Okay, I've said that. I go out with them. I go on Shabbat. I, go to, I do all the other things, but pigs I don't eat. That's, that's, it's, that's, the, that's a typical Jew. I was one of them. I said, same thing. This, yes, this, yes, this, that. But pig? Hashem, I don't eat pig. So Amisa knows pig is asul. When you eat a bug, you're eating big pig five times. Five times. So it's not just one, it's five. So this means that you have to be very, very careful with the vegetables and the fruits that you eat, and you have to make sure that you clean them. You have to clean them. Especially if you're eating salads. Uh, there's a fool that calls himself a rabbi, um, and unfortunately has a famous name. Uh, and uh, Ovadia. And people think he's connected to Rav Ovadia, but he's connected to maybe uh, J.C. Penny more than he's connected to Rav Ovadia. Zatzal. But uh, anyway, he wrote that, yeah, you can go to any vegan restaurant, even if it's not kosher. He said he's a posek now. He made himself, he just declared himself a posek. Declared himself a posek. No one declared him a posek. He declared he's a posek. He declared he's a posek. He's going to write an article that you can go to any vegan restaurant, even if it's not kosher, because it's only vegetables. And if you can't see it, don't worry about it. Meaning, if you can't see the bug with your eyes, you have nothing to worry about. So, that means you, if you can't see anything, you don't have to worry about it. It's a new law. We just added a new law to the Torah. So don't listen to such people. You have to check in the books what it says. The books do not say anything like this. The books say something quite different. The books say, if you eat a bug, you have a serious problem. Now, obviously, it's not, we're not talking about things that are microscopic. Talk about things that if you check, you'll find it. You wash it right, you'll find it. Uh, a lot of people that like to eat chameen, if you're not cleaning your beans, you are 100% eating bugs. If you're not cleaning your beans, if you're not cleaning your rice, if you're not cleaning your vegetables, especially if it's like uh, um, salads types of vegetables, you are 100% eating just as many bugs as you're eating tomatoes. At least. So that's why it's important to wash the vegetables very carefully. You have to put them into uh, soap, soap water. You have to uh, put them into salt water. It's a process. It's a process. That's what it means, Kedoshim Tiyu. Be holy. Be holy means we're not animals. We don't just eat whatever's in front of us because we're hungry. Just because there's food doesn't mean you're allowed to eat it. You have to contain yourself. This is part of tikkun amidot. This is part of controlling your desires. If you see food, and by the time you realize that you have to check for a kosher stamp, you already ate the food, you have no yirat shamayim whatsoever. You have no idea that you probably just ate a bunch of bugs and a bunch of things that you're not supposed to eat. And if you knew what you just ate, not only would you do chatanu avinu pashanu, we'd probably throw up also. So please, Rabotai, you have to check. Tu Bishvat is a very, very important holiday. But it's not important because of the fruits and vegetables. It's important because it reminds us of what it means to be a Jew. What does it mean to be a Jew? When it says, Tu Bishvat, Chagai Tu Bishvat is a holiday for trees and so on. We have to connect it to the Torah. This holidays means that it's connected to the Torah. It's not a, we're not going that we just create things out of, uh, out of uh, nothing. So, 
uh, the Torah in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20, verse 19, says, Ki Adam Adam, Adam is referring according to Rabbi Shemobar Yochai, says Adam means the Jew. Adam etzasadeh. The Adam, the Jew, he's the tree in, in, the, uh, in the field, in the garden. What does it mean he's a tree? You ever see a guy with a branch coming out of his head? If he has a branch out of his head, he's, I don't know if he's a Jew. He's something else. Sick. He has uh, cancer maybe. <laughs> So what does it mean? Yeah, maybe it's one of these Indians that uh, donates the wigs. But, uh, which is a story of its own. But anyway, it says, Adam etza sadeh. What does it mean, Adam etza sadeh? What does it mean, Adam etza sadeh? What does it mean? What does it mean? Also, if you look at a Mishle, uh, Mishle, Proverbs 3.18. It's something you read in your tefillah. It's chayim, ili machazikim ba, v'tomchea meushar, darkea darkea noam, v'koni tivotea shalom. says the it's chayim, the tree of life, ili machazikim ba, the people that have, uh, the people that hold on to the tree of life, you have to hold on to the tree of life. Why? Tomchea meushar, those that invest in it, they're the ones that benefit out of it. It's a little bit of convoluted uh, translation, but I'll explain what it means. The it's the it's the tree is a tzaddik. The it's is a tzaddik. The it's is a someone, it's a ben Torah. When the Torah says is referring to an it's, it's referring to a tzaddik. Why? If you see a huge garden, huge garden, be acres long, whatever it is. What's deikar? What's the most significant part of the garden? It's the tree. Same thing in the world. You have 8 billion people. Out of the 8 billion people, you have a small nation called the Jewish nation. Some say 15, some say 20. Give or take a few million, 20 million Jews that we know of. Out of the 20 million, we have... Three million maybe keep Torah and mitzvot. At least we try. Very small percentage, unfortunately. Out of the three million that keep Torah and mitzvot, you have a few tzaddikim. Few. We don't know how many. We know that the world cannot exist without having at least the 36, the 36 key tzaddikim that, in essence, give the world power. It's like the energy that runs the world that Hashem, uh, that Hashem keeps the world going with. There's 36 tzaddikim nistarim. 36 tzaddikim that are, you don't know about them. They're not on YouTube. They're not on YouTube. They're, uh, they're not famous. And sometimes you don't even know the tzaddikim. They just look like regular people. I can tell you from my experience, a little bit of experience that I have, I don't know if this person is a tzaddik of one of the 36 or not, but when you say to people tzaddik, people think, oh yeah, this guy reads a lot of books. Or this guy uh, has, uh, you know, I don't know, a big tzitzit and a big hat and a long beard. And he's old, he's like uh, Noah. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Sometimes they're old, sometimes they're young, sometimes you know, sometimes you know. 
There's no one size fits all. But I know one tzaddik, one tzaddik that I met, and how do I know he's a tzaddik? How do I know? This is with my own eyes. Don't ask me the name. I'm not going to tell you the name. You can ask me from here till next year. I'm not going to tell you the name because then he, you're going to torture him. I don't want to. I promise I'm not going to say the name. So please don't ask me the name. Not now, not after this year. Who, what, when, and how is irrelevant, but I can tell you for sure I know he's a tzaddik. How do I know he's a tzaddik? I told him, listen, there's a very, very good woman that I knew. And uh, tzaddikah, kshira, everything good. Miskena, suffering. Unbelievably. Major health issues. Doctors don't know how to explain it. Don't know. It's like my, my situation. You go to a doctor, it says, um, we don't know. But how come you're still collecting the bill? You don't know. If you don't know, then at least don't charge me. No, no. We still we did the work. Worked on you for two, three hours. It's uh, $2,000 an hour. But you don't know. You have no question. That's the way it is, sir. We don't get paid based on the, uh, the solutions or the cures. We get paid based on time. We saw you, we get paid. You go another doctor, another doctor, another doctor, 50 doctors later, no one knows anything, but you still have out hundreds of thousands of dollars. So unfortunately, this uh, tzaddikah had a serious situation, very, very sick. No one knows why, no one knows who, no one knows nothing. Nothing. So I don't usually go... And uh, above and beyond, people are sick. What can you do? But this particular situation was different. Anyway, I happened to talk to him about it. I saw him. I happened to talk to him about it. And uh, I said, okay. Nothing. No, I didn't say, listen, maybe this, maybe that. I didn't say nothing. I just said what it said. That's it. Next. Next day. Next day. Not like a year later. It was a coincidence. Next day, she tells me, Rabbi, what happened? I said, nothing. What do you mean what happened? You tell me what happened. So no, 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 Rabbi, something happened. Why it happened? Because I'm cured. What do you mean you're cured? 50 doctors don't know nothing. Rabbi, I'm cured. No pain, no nothing. Everything's gone. I asked him about, I asked him, you know, what, what happened here? He goes, no, no, no nothing, nothing. What do you mean nothing? He goes, no, I just talked to Hashem. Don't worry, just go, 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 go back to left. I just talked to Hashem. I just talked to Hashem. They, okay, I don't have, I don't need proof. So, no, Sadiq's such a person. But, oh, Hashem. So, they, such people do exist. Such people do exist. Why don't they, why don't they walk around the street and start curing cancer every day and start curing everyone? Because, like, if you came or you watched the shiur on Sunday, if you came or you watched the shiur on Sunday, you would know that it's not so simple. Meaning, Yes, we have the power to do a lot of things according to the Torah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we use it. Somebody came to the Chida, and told him, please, give me the lot of numbers. I know you know Kabbalah, you know a lot of secrets in the Torah. Give me the, give me the numbers for the lot. I'll make some money. I'll donate to the Kolel. He says, no. No, please, they, they, annoying the rabbi. Like some of my students annoy me sometimes. Like they don't stop. They ask the same question 57 times. But it's in different ways. Is the wig allowed? No. Is it allowed if, if, one second, Rav, if I don't do it in front of everyone else. Maybe no one else knows it's a wig. No. Is it allowed though? Is it allowed if I just wear it in the street, but not in the house? No. Is it allowed if I just wear it in the house, but not in the street? No. It, and they ask the same question 900 different ways just to find out a way of how to ask the same question. 
Sometimes. So the Chida apparently, Baruch Hashem, had the same kind of student. The guy is asking for a lot of numbers. He's asking for a lot of numbers, Rabotai, and the Chida says, no, no, we don't do such things. No, 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 no. But the guy won't leave him alone. He goes, okay, fine, listen. I'm going to give the lot of numbers, but you're only allowed to check tomorrow. Okay, fine, whatever you want. He writes the numbers. He puts it in an envelope. He goes, here, it's over here. It's over here. We're going to lock it up. Tomorrow, you're allowed to open it. Said them. The next day, the, co- the guy comes. He's excited. He takes the lot of numbers. He thinks he's going to go fill it. He goes, no, no, no. Here's the lot of numbers. He knows there's no internet. There's no, uh, they announce it in the news. You have to go check. He takes the lot of numbers. He goes to the, to the market. He finds out it's the winning numbers. But for the night before. Meaning he can't use it. It's you. Chida knew though. The Chida knew the numbers for the lotto. So he comes back to the Chida. goes, okay, but you knew. But give me the ones before it comes out. He goes, no, no, no. If you were asking, do we know the numbers for the lotto or anything that's beyond that nature? Of course, that's Torah. Torah can give you the power to change nature. But that's not what we have the Torah for. We don't use the Torah for such things. That's not the point of the Torah. I only showed it to you to show you the capacity of the Torah to some extent. Not because you're going to go make money that way. So, when you have someone that's a tzaddik, that's the etz, etz a tzaddik, you got to stick to them. You got to stick to them. Torah says someone that invests in etz a tzaddik, tomchea meushar. Because the Etz HaSadeh, the Tzaddik, the Tzaddik is giving the world power. The Tzaddik is giving the world a right to exist. And the ones that invest in the Tzaddik, real Tzaddik, not the one that says it's Tzaddik. If he says it's Tzaddik, automatically he's not Tzaddik. If he has flyers that say Tzaddik Balair, he's definitely not Tzaddik. Definitely not Tzaddik. Example, for example, we have Rav Ovadi Alava Shalom. They used to celebrate, celebrate when they would see him. And uh, during uh, the month of Elul, he would do lecture after lecture after lecture. Each one, 10,000 people. Each lecture, 10,000 people, they would fly him with a helicopter to different stadiums. So now one time in uh, month of Elul, they flew him with the helicopter into the field. Places packed, over 20,000 people maybe. And he comes in, he sits on the stage, there's the microphone, but he didn't realize that the microphone was on. He didn't realize, he didn't think the shiur started yet. So, you know, sometimes it takes a little time to set up. So, he starts mumbling something. He starts mumbling something. And then he stops when he realizes that everyone is listening and knows exactly what he's saying because it's in a microphone with the blasting speakers. And what is he saying, Rabotai? Everyone's saying, they're celebrating celebrating Torah. What is he saying? It's disgusting to Hashem anyone that has arrogance. Meaning, all of this stuff, all of them celebrating your name, don't take it to your head, you're nothing. Oh, Vadya is saying this. No 60,000 books by heart. Gdoladol. Biggest rabbi in the last thousand years. He's saying, what are you thinking? Who do you think you are? 
You take this to your head, you think that you're a big deal, you're disgusting to Hashem. Just in that second, you decide that what they're saying is true, you're disgusting. You, everything you did, you've turned it into something disgusting. So if you have Rabotai, someone says Tzadik Balair, he's not one of the 36. He's not Tzadik. Like one time I had a guy, tell me, listen, you have to learn. You have to be humble like me. I'm humble. You have to be righteous like me. I'm righteous. Remember I showed you the remote. Man of truth like me, he says, I showed you that one. Yeah. Man of truth, humble. I'm humble, he says. So Torah says, Ki Adam The Jew is supposed to be the Eitz. The Jew is supposed to be Tzadik. And those that invest in the Tzadik, those that invest in the Tzadik, Why is Why is the one that's investing in Tzadik Meushal? should be a Tzadik. He gives more money. He has a bigger bank account now. It has nothing to do with it. Why? If he's tzaddik, if he's tzaddik, then Hashem already made a promise. Hashem already made a promise that David the Melech writes in Tehilim, I've been young, I've been old, and I've never seen a righteous person hungry. That meaning that Hashem left him destitute. No such thing. Maybe it's a leak's coming in the train. Who knows? So, the humble one, the uh, the one from the uh, video over there. So, the Vida Mer says, Kodesh Kodashim, he says, I've never seen Hashem leave a, des- you know, leave a tzaddik destitute. Which means, Rabotai, that if he's tzaddik, money's coming anyway. Parnasai's coming anyway. He has nothing to worry about. This is why it says Tomchea Meushar, Tomchea Meushar, meaning the one that invests in it, the one that gives, is the only one that benefits. Why? Because the money was going to come to him anyway. Just that the guy that invested in it, or the woman that decided to invest in the tzaddik, she decided to be the tool that Hashem used. That's it. That's the free choice. Hashem has many, many tools. By you deciding to be the tool, Shrecha. That's why you're right. That's why you are praiseworthy. Why? Because now you're going to benefit out of it. He was going to benefit anyway. His parnasah was already even in Shemayim. Now, in the Mishnah here that we're up to, and also the parasha, also connects to the same thing. Same thing that we learned from Tu Bishvat, Mishtabach Shemol We're also going to learn both from the parasha Shavua and the Mishnah. In the, in the Mishnah, we're Parashat Yitro. Parashat Yitro is full of miracles, secrets, Musar. Pretty much, you, you read this Parashat a million times, you're still going to learn new things. Ten Commandments, complaints, money issues, health issues, children issues, marriage issues. Everything you want to learn in life, you can learn from this Parashat. Really, in every parasha, but this parasha is a little easier because it's obvious. But nonetheless, anything you want to learn is in this parasha, but also in this Mishnah that we're up to. We're up to Mishnah chapter 5, Mishnah 6. Again, for people that have a different type of a uh, 
Pirkei Avot, they, uh, although the chapters are the same, sometimes the, the numbers of the Mishnah are different, sometimes the uh, certain Chachamim combined Mishnayot into one, but in this uh, Seder, it's Mishnah 6. And it says the following, Asara Nisyonot Nisu Avotenu Et HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bamidbar. Shneemar, Vainasu Oti Ze Eser Pe'amim Velo Shamu Bekoli. Ten trials, with ten trials did our ancestors test the Holy One, blessed is He, in the wilderness, in the desert. As it says in Numbers 14.22, they have tested me these ten times and did not heed my voice. Now the Rashbats, Allah Shalom, starts the Pirush, starts his commentary on this Mishnah with something extraordinary. A new thing. What does he say? Nothing new was delivered directly by this Mishnah. No Chidush. There's no Chidush here. So why did you mention this Mishnah? Each Mishnah is foundation. Each Mishnah has endless amount of lessons. That's not He didn't say there's no lessons. He said there's no Chidush. Nothing new. Meaning that just learning this Pasuk from the Torah, that's something that has to be part of your foundation of all of your learning. Of everything that you do in life from the minute you were born until the minute you go up to Shemaim. If you don't know the Pirush, the details, the hidden ones, the obvious ones, the ones uh, connected directly and indirectly, you don't know what's going on with this verse, you're missing the point in life. He says the Chachamim didn't give you this Pasuk as if they're trying to bring some new thought. No, no, no. They're telling you this Pasuk has all of it. Just like we had recently. We're talking about a different Pasuk for Mishle. What was the Pasuk? Does anybody remember? You guys write notes? We're talking about uh, someone that benefits or celebrates, if you will, the misery of another, loses his olamaba. Loses his olamaba. Why? Am I the only one learning here? You really remember it. Now you remember it. Where's the notebook? Someone that celebrates another person's, another, his, his brother, not, not literally his biological brother, but someone that celebrates his brother's demise, his fall, his loss, loses his share of the world to come. Meaning, most of us are in trouble if we don't do tshuva for this. Why? Most people love to see other people fail. It's actually like almost like a pleasure. Before you do tshuva, it's almost like a pleasure to see other people fail. When you win, you win in sports. What do they do in football? They do the, the, the end zone dance. What's the end zone dance? Laughing in the other guy's face. Ha ha ha, we scored, da da da. They, they, they call it all different types of vulgar names. How they laugh in each other's face because they scored. If a guy gets a deal that outwits his competitor, he spends even more money than he profited celebrating the fact that he outwitted his competitor than the fact that he got the deal. He's more happy about outwitting his competitor 
than getting the money. And so on and so forth in life. In life, unfortunately, many people have a unethical way of celebrating. Their, their pleasure in life is to see other people fail. And this, according to our Torah, you keep Shabbat, you keep uh, all the other things. You do this on a regular basis without doing tshuva, you're going to show up to Allah and and say, do not enter. Do not enter. Why? You have no midot. So how can someone, can such a thing really happen? Someone keeps all the mitzvot and shows up and, uh, you know, and they say, do not enter? No, this is hypothetical. Why hypothetical? Because if you have such a bad midah that you like to see other people fail, you're probably not keeping Shabbat and you're probably not keeping a lot of other things. That's not going to be the only reason you lose your olam abba. If you have such horrible midah that you like to see other people fail, you may keep Shabbat, but you're probably breaking a bunch of other isul karet. So, fixing your midot is critical and this is one of the big ones. But here the Mishnah doesn't talk about this. Mishnah talks about something quite different. Mishnah is telling you a pasuk in the Torah that Am Yisrael, Aravotenu, our ancestors, which were called Dora De'a, the generation of knowledge. Why Dora De'a? Why generation of knowledge? Because they got their knowledge directly from the source, from God Himself. When? This parasha. This parasha, parasha Nitro. Okay, of course, we got certain things from Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, all the way from Adam Arishon, to Noah, and so on and so forth. But, but, all of it culminated and we got first-hand knowledge from Mount Sinai. When is it? Parasha Nitro. You would think we're coordinating. So, it says that this Dora De'a, this generation of knowledge, weren't exactly such simple people. It says that not only did they have knowledge, but they also had a lot of complaints too. Lots of complaints. In fact, this Mishnah is specifically mentioning that there were ten significant ones. Ten significant complaints now, many times in the Torah, when it says a number, it says ten, it's just really indicating a large amount. Here, it's specifically saying, no, no, there was actually ten. There was actually ten specific sins, ten specific things that Am Yisrael did. Many of them, Hashem considered destroying them for it. Wasn't like complaint, hey, uh, you know, Hashem, uh, you only gave me $1,500 this week. Can you make it 2,000, make it round? No, it wasn't like that kind of a complaint. It's a little big deal. At least that's what we're seeing right now, superficially. We'll get deeper. Now, who is this Doradea? Who are these people? Who are this Doradea? If you remember, the sages explained to us in Midrash Tanchuma, Rabbi Naurai says, Alvai, Alvai meaning I wish that one out of five or even one out of five hundred left Egypt. But we all know 
that not even one out of 5,000 left Egypt. What does he mean? He says, I wish that when the sages said that one out of five of Bnei Yisrael left Egypt and the other four died because they didn't want to do tshuva, I wish it was really that good of a number. He says, I wish it was even one out of 500. But we all know it was not even one out of 5,000. Meaning, when we say that 20% of Ami Sled survived Egypt, and 80% didn't, he says, I wish. I wish. He says, it wasn't even one out of 5,000. Meaning, it wasn't even mamash, it wasn't even a percent. It was two out of every 10,000. Two out of every 10,000. Now, 1% of 10,000 is what? 100. 1% of 10,000 is 100. Which means that 2, 2 is 2% of the 100. That's 1%. It's a fraction of a fraction of a percent. It's a fraction of a fraction of a percent. And he says, Alvay, it's even that. Meaning it's probably worse. There's one Midrash, Me'am Lo'ay, scary as death. It says, it was one out of 500,000. Now people always say, listen, what about uh, now? What about if Mashiach comes now? Is it going to be the same as Egypt? Because it says in the book of Jeremiah and several other places that the miracles and the events that happened in the times of Egypt will happen again the time of the Geulah, the time of Mashiach. Does that also mean that the same percentage of people, same limited amount of people will be saved? That we don't know. Why don't we know? Because everything is subject to tshuva. If people do tshuva, we do better. If they don't, we do worse. If Mashiach that everybody is excited for, a lot of people that are especially secular people, or people that don't keep much, they're excited for Mashiach to come because they think the Mashiach is going to solve all their problems. In reality, they should actually read Tehilim for him not to come. Because if he came, they're doomed. There's no more tshuva. Meaning if Mashiach shows up, Rabotai, right now, we're finished. Whatever you are, you are. This is why the Chachamim and the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, even the great Rabbi Eliezer Agadol, the Rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, said... I want the Mashiach to come. I just don't want to be alive when he does. It's going to be very hard times. Meaning the Chachamim told us, don't worry about what's going to happen after Mashiach comes. In fact, the Rambam says that learning about what's going to happen after Mashiach comes is a complete waste of time. A lot of people love to talk about, oh, are they going to do this? And what's going to happen with the planets? And what's going to happen with food? And are people going to give birth? And are people going to eat? And are people going to work? And what the, is there going to be still war? And no war? And money? And Bitcoin maybe is going to take over? Or maybe it's Ripple? <laughs> what's going to happen when comes? Rambam says you're wasting your life learning about any of these things. Why are you wasting your life? 
He goes because learning about what is going to happen after Mashiach comes is not going to help you Yirat Shemaim or Yahavat Hashem. Meaning, it's not going to help either one of the things that's going to get you to survive Mashiach. There's plenty of people like to talk about Mashiach. Little do they know that if he actually came right now, they would be the first to be destroyed. The Goel, the Mashiach is coming to help those that used to be poshim, used to be criminals, used to be people that didn't, you know, that before they did tshuva. He's coming to help the people that were Baalei Tshuva. What's Baalei Tshuva? Everyone. Doesn't matter who your parents are, if you grew up from, you didn't grow up from, if you think you're from, if you're not from, it's irrelevant. You did tshuva, you're okay. You didn't do tshuva, you have a problem. If you don't think you have to do tshuva, you have a worse problem. Many people that keep Shabbat and a few mitzvot and learn a little bit every day, they're convinced they don't have to do tshuva. Little do they know, they may actually have to do more tshuva than a secular person has to. Why? There's a lot more expected from them. There's a lot more expected from you once you know. Meaning, the guy that thought he was a donkey his whole life, thought that him and the cow were were boyfriend and girlfriend, and now he discovered, oh, listen, the cow I just get milk from and we eat it sometimes. Not together though. And I have to keep Shabbat and I do it on Shabbat. Good. Okay, so he starts keeping Shabbat, starts keeping kosher. It's very, very basic. Very basic guy. He just started doing Shabbat Baruch Hashem. Hashem is very happy with him. Why is he happy with him? He just went from being a cow to being Adam. To being a human being. To being a Jew. Being a righteous person. Even if he's a non-Jew and he did tshuva, he's keeping the seven Noahide laws, he's starting to control his temper, he's trying to control his bad character traits, Hashem is very happy with him. Why? But he's not tzaddik. He's just basic. Hashem is very happy with him. Why? Yesterday he was a cow. But you, you the religious one, your mom and your dad and your uncle and your cousin and everyone is religious, and you think that you don't have to do tshuva. You are in bigger trouble. Why? A lot more is expected from you. Shabbat is not even your tikkun. You've been keeping Shabbat since birth. You don't know what it means not to keep Shabbat. Kosher is not even part of the equation. Why? You don't even know where to get non-kosher food. You don't even have an option to break kosher. Tfilin. Tfilin, you're wearing it all day. It's part of your life. It's like people put jackets, you put on tfilin. These are not your tikkunim. What's your tikkun? You have to work on your midot. Meaning if you're still angry, stingy, uh, horrible midot, character traits, you don't fix them and you don't even think you need to fix them and you're not working on fixing them, Mashiach comes, going to look at you and say, oh, that's another secular person that keeps Shabbat. It's another secular person that's keeping Shabbat. You get your schal for Shabbat, but you have to pay for the stuff that you didn't keep. What do you mean I kept all the mitzvot? Yeah, you kept the mitzvot of the exterior. But you did it because it became your second nature. You didn't do it because you had Yirat Shamayim. So anyone who doesn't think they have to keep, they have to work on doing tshuva, they're in bigger trouble than a secular person. Why I go to a secular people in the street, you get them to do tshuva. In the street, right now, Baruch Hashem, I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. You saw it, you were right there with me. Baruch Hashem, she wanted to give me a few books. Went to the car to, to put the stuff in the car. There's three young guys. I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years old, young kids. One of them came to the shiur. After the shiur we did, I don't know, maybe six months ago. He says, hey, Rabbi, how are you? I'm coming to another shiur over there next door. And I have the tzitzit you gave me six months ago. 
He's wearing it. He showed me his tzitzit. I'm like, Shtavach, Shimolad. Wow. I said, what about your friends? You had two friends with him. One guy said, oh, you know, I have a tzitzit. I'm wearing tzitzit also. But, uh, you know, not for me. Good. Oh, Hashem, you have tzitzit. The other one, no tzitzit. No tzitzit, no keeper. Start talking to the guys a few minutes. This one takes some CDs. He takes on himself to start learning every day. The other one is coming to the shore in a little bit. And the third one put on tzitzit on a spot in the middle of the street. Told him, you make a mitzvah every second. Every second, you make a mitzvah. Okay, I'll take a tzitzit. If I didn't tell him, he could live the rest of his life not wearing tzitzit. All this neshama needed is for somebody to tell him, put tzitzit on. That's it. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't Rocha Kodesh. I didn't give him any three hour lecture. Five minutes, we're outside. You want tzitzit? You make a mitzvah every second. Okay, I'll take tzitzit. That's it. 16, 17 years of his life, he's living in a world. No one ever told him, put on tzitzit. Now somebody told him, finally, Baruch Hashem, he put on tzitzit. Rabotai, you can help people do tshuva every second. You just got to tell them. Just tell them to do tshuva. If you don't tell them to do tshuva, they're not going to do tshuva. So, here you have Doa De'a, you have the generation of knowledge. You guys don't mind lowering the temperature and melting. Whoever wants to be a tzaddik and at least for a moment, and lower the temperature. Unless you guys like to watch me cook too. That's a horrible character trait. The Again, there's many bad character traits. Depression is one of them. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So now... Dora De'ad is generation of knowledge. This generation of knowledge. Who are they? Torah says, remember that one out of 500,000? This is them. This is the one. The ones that survived. Meaning the best of them. The best of them, those are the ones that got to Mount Sinai. Those are the ones that were in a desert for 40 years. This is the best of them. The best of them. When they all got to Yamsuf, they all got to the Sea of Reeds, the Malach Mitzrayim, his name is Mitzrayim, came to Hashem and said, Hashem, why are you going to save them and kill the Egyptians? They're both idol worshippers, the Egyptians and these people. Meaning even the best of them, the ones that survived were still idol worshippers. Why did he save them? If you're idol worshippers, why did he save them? Why did he save them? That's exactly what happened last week's parasha, parashat B'Shalach. When they got to the Sea of Reeds, they started screaming and yelling because the sea won't split. Moshe Rabbeinu starts screaming to Hashem, help us. Hashem says, Mati tzak elai. Daber al b'nei Yisrael v'yisau. Speak to the, what are you screaming to me, he says. Speak to the nation of Israel and tell them to move forward. What does it mean move forward? What does it mean move forward? He says, the Zohar Kadosh, the Gemara, and a few other places, Midrash Tan Chuma, says something extraordinary. I've said this probably ten times in lectures, and still not enough. Hashem Idbarach answers Moshe Rabbeinu. 
And he says, Moshe, Moshe, you're good. I like you. Problem is your people, they're idol worshippers. And the Mekatreg, the Malach Mitzrayim, came to me and said, listen, well, you're going to kill the Egyptians for idol worship and not Bnei Israel? Why? They're also idol worshippers. And I didn't have an answer for him. Hashem Barach did not have an answer for him. He says he's right. He's right. I can't. Under the law that I created, called the Torah, I cannot open the sea for them. I can't split the sea for them. Why? Die to worshippers. So what are you screaming to me for? What you, what else do you want me to scream? What else do you want me to scream? He says, no, no. Go move forward. What move forward? Show me you're willing to do tshuva. Show me you believe in me. Don't, no more words. No more words. No more clothing. No more superficial exterior. Show me. Show me you believe. Don't tell me you believe. A lot of people says, yes, if I had a million dollars, I'd donate a half a million. I said, yeah, you have a thousand? Yes, how come you don't donate 500? It's much easier to donate 500 than 500,000. Much cheaper. Much cheaper. If I had a million dollars for the I'd donate 500,000. I don't need 500,000. 500 dollars you have? No, I have, uh, okay, 50 dollars you have? 5 dollars you have? 5 cents you have? How come you don't donate nothing? Why? Because uh, it's all fake. It's all words. They say words. They say, show honor to me with their words, with their lip service, but their heart's far from me. Truth? They have no idea what they're saying. They don't believe anything. Hashem says to Moshe, 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 tell your people, move forward, show me you believe. Show me you believe in me. Don't just tell me you believe in me. Show me you want to do tshuva. Show me you want to change. Show me something. Why? Because right now you have no more merits. You had merits to get you here. Merits for the ten plagues, merits to destroy Egyptians, merits to get everyone to get here, to Yam Suf. Beyond this, no more merits. Finished. Finished. Ran out. The tank is empty. You need something else. You need, you need to move forward. You need to show something. So now, Nachshon ben Aminadav takes the first step and for that he merited to have the Mashiach come from him. So this very generation, unique, Amksha'olif, stubborn people, but still it's the best of them. They arrive at Mount Sinai, and even on the way there, they complain. On the way there, they complain. And the Torah here says, they didn't complain once. They complained a lot of times. But there's ten specific complaints that Hashem says, you know what? If you don't do trauma, I'm going to destroy you. But it wasn't like a, listen, let's negotiate. It got to such a point. It got to such a point. So what are these ten tests? What are these ten tests that the best of them had? And why is it connected to us, Bechlal? Okay, it's them. So we'll answer the second question first. Why is this connected to us? Why is this Mishnah connected to us, Bechlal? Okay, they, it sounds crazy to us. 
You saw the ten plagues. You saw the water turn into blood. You saw the frogs coming out. You saw Barad, Shechim. You saw everything. All these giant miracles, you still don't believe. You get the Yam Suf, you still don't believe. He splits the ocean 12 times, you still don't believe. You get to the middle, a few days later, you run out of food, he gives you food from Shemaim, you still don't believe. You get to uh, a little later, you run out of water, he gives you, turns bitter water into sweet water, you still don't believe. You get to Mount Sinai, he splits the seven heavens, shows you, hey, there's no one else here but me. And you still don't believe. You still test. Still, and for the next forty years, to us, this is a crazy people. What? But this is avotenu. What does it mean avotenu? What does it mean avotenu? What does it mean avotenu? What does it mean our ancestors? What does it mean? It means it's us. Us, Amash, us, me, you, all of Am Yisrael. Reincarnated right now. We're talking about us right now. This Mishnah, it's about us. It's not about some distant people that were crazy and strange and weird. No, no. This is us. This is like you're reading your own bio. All of the bad traits, all of the bad character traits, all of the bad mistakes, all of the things they did that you know of and you don't know of, we did it. Not some strange people. Us, us sitting here, us, Amisad, 20 million, us. No one's excluded. If you're in this generation, this is you. That's why this Mishnah is here. Mishnah is not for some lesson that's only relevant to certain Rishayim, to certain types of weak people, weird people, wicked people. No, us, Rabotai. That's what it's about. You're reading your bio. That's why we're reading the Mishnah. So now, what do we do? Now that we know it's us, we need to know what we did. Because that's how we find out how to fix ourselves. If we know what we made a mistake in, and we correct it, we fix our tikkun. We fix our tikkun and get all Lama We don't fix our tikkun. Shemachim. A person can live 70, 80, 90 years Get to Olamba and said, thank you for living 90 years. All you did was become a blender. Food, you ate with non-stop. Money, you spent non-stop. Uh, people, you went through friendships non-stop. Relationships, non-stop. Everything, you were a blender. You just blended everything constantly, constantly. Purpose, zero. Hashem did not create you and put you into this world to be a blender. Your purpose is not to be a blender. It doesn't say, Yaron Ruven, blender, next to it. It doesn't say. It's a different purpose. Somebody could live 90 years in this world and just be a blender, Rabotai, no purpose whatsoever. Why? He doesn't read Mishnayot, he doesn't read Musar, he doesn't realize he has to do tshuva. He thinks he's okay. A lot of people think they're okay. We have to learn right now why we're not okay. So I'll answer your question, then we're going to continue straight through the Mishnah because there's a lot of material. With a person like Hitler, he's probably not a happy, he's not a happy person. 
Somebody asked me the same question yesterday. And somebody got an answer for that question today. Two different answers, part A, part B. Good question. Suffering is not always kaparata vonot. Suffering is not always a part of your repentance for sin. Now, we, all of us, as soon as we learn the term kaparata vonot, that anytime you suffer, according to the Gemara in a few places, it's considered kaparata vonot, it's, it's considered as if you've a form of repentance for a sin that you've made. So you suffer here instead of suffering in Genom. But suffering is not always a kaparata vonot. Sometimes suffering is just pure punishment. Sometimes suffering is just pure punishment. Why? You deserve it. Simply. You deserve it. So now, if a person lived their whole life as a wicked person, just somebody asked me this yesterday. You live your whole life, wicked person. Not a murderer. Not a thief. Not a wicked person by the eyes of the general population. I'm talking about wicked in the eyes of Hashem. Wicked in the eyes of the population, you don't need an answer for that. You don't need me for that. You don't need the Torah for that. Someone is a murderer, you don't need, it doesn't make a difference. You don't, obviously someone that's wicked in the eyes of the, of, of the world, he's a murderer, he's a thief, he's a rapist, he's a Hitler. Obviously, you know, this person has only one destination after this world, which is Gainom. But we're talking about someone that's not wicked in the eyes of the people, he's wicked in the eyes of Hashem, which is really the only thing that matters. So he is very nice to people. He gives charity to homeless people and the Red Cross and all types of idol worship, or even to Batikneset. And he is very, very nice to women. It's just that he has a new one every day. But he's very nice to them. And he's very generous with money. It's just that he uses other people's money to be generous with. And all types of nice things that he does. But before he died, he got, I don't know, Barminan, Barminan, he got cancer. Cancer or some type of other crazy disease that ate up his body in a horrible way. Every single day he was losing a limb. Every day he lost a finger. Every day he lost a nail. Every day he lost something. And little by little, the, the, the disease is eating up his body. He suffered tremendously. Does that mean that after he dies, he's going to go to Gan Eden? Absolutely not. Not. He's not going to Gan Eden. Why? If he died without doing tshuva, his suffering is just pure punishment. It's just the beginning of the punishment. Really, why Hashem was doing this punishment? To try to get him to wake up. The only reason he was getting this punishment was not because Hashem really intended for it to be punishment. Hashem intended for it for it to be a wake-up call. Real punishment is waiting for him after this life if he doesn't do tshuva. But if he doesn't do tshuva, then he gets this already a down payment of the punishment. Without doing tshuva, there's no chance in the world of getting to Gan Eden. doesn't matter how many people do Kaddish for you. doesn't matter how many people end up uh, learning Torah in your sake. Without doing tshuva, without you actually keeping Shabbat, keeping mitzvot, doing tshuva, chatanu, avinu, pashanu, and doing something about it, you have no chance, zero chance, according to Sfarim HaKadoshim. Not my opinion. You want sources, I give you a million of them if you want. There's no questions asked. There's no, there's no chance. Anyone that tells you otherwise, just changing the Torah. He has to do a different religion. According to the Torah, without Shuvah, there's no Gan Eden. 
Yes, he suffered. Okay, he suffered. So what? He suffered. He deserves even more if he didn't do tshuva. That's the reality. That's what Torah says. So, the point is, we have to do tshuva. So the suffering is unfortunate, but it was supposed to be like a message, like a text message. You get a text message in the middle of the shoe, you're not supposed to pick it up. After the shoe, you're supposed to pick it up. Someone's giving you a message. Why is someone messaging you? To get your attention. If you don't answer, he sends you another message. If you don't answer, he sends you another message. If you don't answer, he calls you. If you don't call, he leaves you. If you don't answer, he leaves you a voicemail. If you don't answer, he calls you again. If you don't answer, he comes to your house. If you don't answer, he knocks a little harder. If you don't answer, he may break down the door. Rabotai, that's sometimes, that person is not a person. That is God. He's knocking at your door. Hey, I'm here. If you still didn't wake up, okay, come, I'll talk to you up there. We have a nice warm place for you. That's it. Now, this wasn't really supposed to come out, but maybe maybe if he's listening, maybe if he's listening, maybe it'll affect him a little bit more. There was a guy that came to a shul in New York. And everyone said, listen, you should have a debate with this guy. He used to be religious, now he's not religious. But not only is he not religious, he tells other people not to be religious. I don't necessarily take people's words uh, just like that, whatever. I said, bring him to the shul, I'll talk to him. Anyway, in one of the shiurim, he asked if, you know, he came to the shul at the end of the shiur. And I asked, anyone have any questions? He asked a question, I answered the question, he was in shock. That there was actually an answer for his question. And I asked him if you have any more questions. He didn't have any more questions. So I said, you know what? Let me ask more questions like yours. More questions that are supposed to contradict the Torah or questions that most people don't know the answers for. Why? Because I asked those questions before I did tshuva. So I started showing different proofs. And Baruch Hashem, the crowd was very excited and very happy to hear some of these answers and some of the questions. Now, I told him at the end, I'm like, listen, do you still have any more questions? He goes, yeah, I have some questions, we should talk. I said, listen, the deal is, I have no problem. You, you can ask me as many questions as you want. Send me a text message with any questions that you want. I'll provide your answers. Sometimes they're going to be verbal, meaning I'll give you the answers myself. Sometimes I'll show you to you in a book. Sometimes I'll show it to you in a video. But I'll provide you the answers under the condition that if I provide you all of the answers and you... View them intellectually, not with a bias, like uh, you're trying to find a way out. Real, you know, you're looking at it intellectually. And I provide you all the answers. The deal is that you publicize to the whole world that Hashem is real and His Torah is real. And you do tshuva. He says, yes, I say, no problem, good. It's worth the investment for me, even though I don't have any time at all already. It's worth the investment to help somebody do tshuva. So anyway, I gave him my information. I actually expected to talk to him after... The, uh, uh, the tape went off, uh, and but he ran away. Anyway, he contacted me later on, and he asked me a couple of questions. I started providing him a wealth of different sources, whether it was Torah and science uh, that I made, or different scientific videos that other people made, and so on and so forth, a bunch of different sources of books. And initially, I thought that he was interested in finding out the truth. So I provided him a lot of sources and I spent some time getting it even though I don't have any time at all even to see my own family with the exception of Shabbat. If there wasn't Shabbat, I wouldn't see my own family. 
People think that this, the, the two, three, four hours that I'm here is like, the, oh, that's it, that's, that's a uh, nice job. They don't realize that the, the, the easiest part is this. The hard part comes after this. All the personal stuff, all the questions, all the answers, all the projects, running Bezat Hashem, there's a lot of work. I told somebody else that uh, was asking me about uh, what we're doing, wants to join, and so on. So listen, you have to understand this is a very, very difficult job. This is not Wall Street like I used to have. Wall Street was easy next to this. Even though I was working long hours in Wall Street, I chose to work long hours. I chose to work long hours. Here, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. People always ask me, what time do you go to sleep? I say, as soon as I can't stand anymore. What do you mean as soon as you can't stand? As soon as the body stops working. As soon as it stops working, that's when I go to sleep. That's the schedule. And it's no different for Rav Mizrahi, and it's no different for anyone that's really a Moser Nefesh for Amin There's no schedule. It's 24 hours. Minus a couple of hours that you pretty much can't function. That's the schedule. Why? Because people from all over the world need help. Some with diseases, some with financial issues, some with questions about Alakha, some uh, for videos, some for different projects. There's a million and a half different things going on at every given time. If you're trying to help people do tshuva, you do not have a personal life anymore. That's just a reality. People think that they, oh, you're a lecturer. Sounds like a night. I want to be a lecturer. Every day somebody tells me, I want to be a speaker. I want to be a speaker. I said, I'll buy you be a speaker. I'll buy a thousand of you be a speaker. Good. Do a speaker. A week later they quit. It's not easy. People think it's easy because it's easy on TV. You see it on the internet. It looks easy. Why? Wow, you spoke for two hours. Big deal. Big deal. Spoke for two hours. What's the big deal? I'm not trying to get credit. I'm just trying to explain to you. To invest in anyone, when someone tells me, listen, you have time, can I talk to you for a half hour? No, I don't have time for a half hour. I don't have a half hour. If I had a half hour, I'd spend it with my kids. I'd spend it with my wife. I don't have a half hour. Unless it's an emergency. If it's an emergency, I have a half hour. Most times it's not an emergency. Most times it's just people want to tell me their story. So this guy, I was willing to make an investment in him. Regardless of how much it costs. Why? Because... I thought this could be, this is somebody that's really looking for the truth, but he's just really confused. So I invested time providing sources and so on and so forth. But right away, I noticed that maybe, just maybe, he's not looking for the truth. Already, as soon as I provided him a couple of stories, he goes, yeah, but somebody on the internet says it's not true. What do I care what somebody, somebody on the internet says everything is not true. Somebody on the internet says that the world is flat. Does that mean that, he, that what he's saying is right? Like, not everybody's going to agree with any one particular fact, just a reality. But immediately, he's looking for ways out, and he just wants to debate publicly. And I say, listen, you have to review the information. And I say, you know what? You speak as if you're an Einstein, as if he knows all the science. I say, what kind of education do you have? I'm one of these people that values education because it's, it shows what kind of dedication you have. Not necessarily school. But what do you study? How much do you study? Is it just YouTube videos? I mean, you talk like you're Einstein. If your studying is consumed of just YouTube videos, I'm sorry, you're not a scholar. No one's becoming a scholar off of YouTube. You're not. You could get by, maybe hold a conversation or two. You're not becoming a scholar off of YouTube videos. Not in Torah, not in life, not in anything. You have to open some books. You have to lose some sleep. You have to do some extra work. That's it. So I tell him, okay, well, show me the last five books that you read. 
Show me the skies. Einstein. Show me the live bo- five books that you read. I'm thinking it's going to be five science books. It's Einstein. Maybe there's Nietzsche. Maybe there's, I don't know who's going to be. It's going to be crazy people I never heard of, heard of. I don't know. I studied some stuff in my life. I don't know what's going to be philosophers. Maybe he's going to be this, going to be that. What did he show me? He shows me Bill Nye, the science guy. By the way, Rabotai, Bill Nye is not a scientist. He's a comedian. He's a comedian. He's not even a scientist. He just got the job. So he went with it. This is the science knowledge that has questions and doubts and safek on the Torah. Now, so right, I didn't tell him this. Because I didn't want to insult him, but at the same token, I'm seeing, okay, obviously this guy's just confused. Okay, Sad Hashem. Read the information, I sent you, review it, and so on and so forth. He just keeps trying to go back to the debate, to the debate, let's have a public debate, let's have a public debate, let's have a public debate. No public debate, I'm just read the information. If you have questions on the information, then we'll talk. But if all the information is provided, what is the debate going to be about? And then today, he strikes a nerve. I don't think anyone has ever struck a nerve with me like this, ever in my life. He struck a nerve that, Baruch Hashem, I wasn't angry, but if I could get angry, if I was allowed to get angry, and I could burn him through the phone, I'd burn him. (laughs) If I was allowed to get angry and I could burn him, I'd burn him. But I'm not allowed to get angry, so I didn't get angry. But I was very, very upset. Why? Why? He says, listen, stop uh, dodging it. Let's have a lecture. Let's have a debate. Let's have a this. I'll get the same thing again. I don't care. Say it 5,000 times. It'll make a difference in my life. What does he say? Listen, you have to understand, I'm a very well-known uh, in my community to get people to stop keeping mitzvot. At least five people stop keeping Shabbat because of me. At least five people stop keeping Shabbat because of me, he tells me. Do you guys understand what I just said? You're asking questions that are not relevant. Do you understand what I just said? At least five people lost Olam because of this guy. He just murdered at least five people directly, and God only knows how many indirectly if they don't do Jula. And what is he doing? He's proud of this. He's like, oh, if you come here... Now I know that you're not actually looking for the truth. Now I know that you're just looking for a stage to spread your disgustingness and all of the things that you tell people, which makes you a mean. What's a mean? A mean is a person that is pure evil. Pure evil. Because their only intention is to get you away from Hashem. Their only goal in life is to get you away from the Torah because of something that's deficient within them. They're sad, they're, excuse me, they're angry, they're depressed, they're uh, whatever they are, and they want to bring everyone down with them. This is why depression is a disease, that if you don't take care of it, it becomes infective to everyone around you. You must work on your depressions. You must work on your questions. You get have to get answers. You're in this world, find out the answers. Not having answers will lead to depression. Having depression will lead to sin. Sin leads to Gehenom. How long? Could be permanent. You must get out of it. 
That's the answer to your question. You must get out of depression. You cannot get to Olam in a good way if you're depressed. Why? Being depressed, you cannot fulfill Hashem's will. You cannot. When they say it's a mitzvah to be happy, they're not just telling, oh yeah, you should be happy like the break dances in the middle of the street. They're talking about you have to enjoy doing the mitzvah because it's diamonds in your hand. If you don't feel like it's diamonds, you're not doing it right. This Rasha Merusha, something went wrong in his life. His wife left him, and everyone doesn't like him. And he, I don't know, maybe he didn't get hugs as a kid. Or he had some questions that some people didn't have answers for. Whatever happened in his life, fine, I understand. People have hardships. I understand hardships. I know atheists. I know people that don't like the Torah. I understand. I actually have a childhood friend, almost 30 years, doesn't believe in God. I know what it means, but I don't have a problem with any of them. I don't have a problem with any atheist. I don't have a problem with anyone that's not religious. I don't have a problem with them. Why? They don't know. Miskinim. They're poor people. They don't know. They don't. If you tell them and you get them to, to, to know, you can change. You can help them change. What made me so upset? What made me so upset is that he is trying to infect others with his disease. It's like an AIDS victim that knows he has AIDS and still wants to sleep around. You got infected. You have a disease. Fine. Keep it to yourself. Stay in a room. Stay in a hole. Dig yourself a hole. Bury yourself in it if you want. Why do you have to infect everyone else? What do you gain out of it? What do you gain out of taking people down? For what? Let's say you're right. Let's say. He's not, obviously. Let's say you're right and the Torah is not real. What do you gain out of telling a guy to get away from a ship? What do you possibly gain? If he does mitzvot, does it hurt your pocket? If he does mitzvot, does it hurt your life? No. So what do you care that he worships God? What do you benefit out of it? This shows why it's pure evil. And it explains why my answer to him was the following. I said, now that I know that you're a mean, a mean is a person that's amalek. Amalek, we're obligated to kill if we know who they are. Now, in this regard, we don't have a Sanhedrin. If we had a Sanhedrin, they would give him death penalty. But you should know this, I told him. Because you're a mean and you're only looking to hurt others, you should know that every single day, three times a day, there's Tefillat Shemona Three times a day, there's Amidah prayer. Three times a day, we pray Alaminim. What's Alaminim? We pray for Hashem to kill the Minim. We pray for you to die, I tell him. Three times a day. Now I have an image in my head when I say it. And even if I had nothing to do with the rest of my life, I told him I'm still not going to continue this conversation. Why? You're an evil person. You're an evil person. You're looking for the truth? No problem. I'll invest in you. You're looking to hurt people? Who wants to associate with such a person? Is that a good enough answer? Well, he got shocked. He didn't expect that answer. So now, Rabotai, we have our Mishnah at hand. Our Mishnah, Rabotai, is about us. It's about us of how to protect ourselves from falling for Reshaim, like this guy that I just talked about, hopefully does tshuva. I just don't know if it's even possible in such a case. But hopefully does tshuva. Hopefully he got it so hard on his head He's so shocked that he says, you know what? Okay, maybe it's really just not worth it. Whatever. He doesn't want to believe. I don't want to believe. Don't believe. Fine. But why cause other people to sin? 
when other people told me, listen, he actively goes and looks for religious people and yeshivot to get them to become not religious. I didn't believe it. Why? Who knows? Maybe he's religious and they just don't like the guy. I don't know. I can't just believe people. It's Lashon Ara. But now after he says it himself, and he's proud of it, he's happy about it, prefer Hitler over such people. Because Hitler at least just wanted to kill the body. This guy wants to kill souls. No different than a missionary. He's no different than a Catholic or Christian missionary. No different than an Erev Rav. No different than any Machtiya Rabin. Only in this case, this guy is actually excited about it. At least the other people think that they actually have, you know, they're just doing a job. This guy is not even getting money out of it. He's just pure evil. Hopefully he's not. And he just pretends to be. Because some people like to pretend like they're evil. Some people like to pretend they're tough. And as soon as they get punched in the face, they're like, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. You know, they're like shaking. You punched him in the face. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. Jo- I wasn't. I was joking. I wasn't. I didn't want to fight. I was pretending to fight. I wasn't really going to fight. Oh, I was. You were. Pre- I wasn't pretending. You were pretending. Oh, well, I wasn't pretending. That's why I punched you in the face because I wasn't pretending. Hated the Catholic Church? I don't think he hated the Catholic Church. Well, I mean, in his book, he uh, hated Jews specifically, but um, regardless, his gay number doesn't change. Uh, he's right there with uh, J.C. Penney and, uh, and Muhammad and Bilam and all these other Vrashaim. Kafakela is before Gainum. Yes and no. Yes and no. There's certain things that are worse, certain things that are better. No, not necessarily. There's a certain time and a certain place. Let's, guys, you want to know details? Watch the Gainom Shield. A few times you get all the details that you want. I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure that according to his sins, there's no reason for him to ever get out. But the Mishnah that we have, Rabotai, is Asara Nishyonot. Now, if another person sins, another person sins, that help your situation? The fact that Hitler is in Gainom, or this guy is going to go to Gainom if he doesn't do tshuva, or that other people sin before you, or after you, or next to you, does that help your case? Thank you, Skyrim Mitzvot. Does that help you? Like, can you say, listen, but everybody else was a sinner. Everyone else was wearing mini skirts and tank tops. Everyone else was driving on Shabbat. Everyone else was eating non-kosher and, and spending Sunday watching the Super Bowl instead of coming to the Shul Torah. Everyone else was doing it for the Rav. So that's okay, right? Does it help you that everybody else is a sinner? The answer is no. If everyone is speeding on a highway at 100 miles an hour when it's a 40, the cop arrests everyone. Not just somebody, not just one person. They arrest as many people as they can catch. In Shemaim, they catch everyone. So here when it says, He's talking about us. We tested Hashem in ten different ways. What were these tests? And we'll go over the following and then get to the point of why it's even relevant to us today. Where do we need to do tshuva? 
First test when the Egyptians pursued Am Yisrael at the Sea of Reeds. Am Yisrael told Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't they have graves in Egypt? Didn't they have graves? What, they ran out of graves in Egypt? You had to bring us all the way here? Meaning they were making a sarcastic joke. Why'd you bring us over here, Moshe? Why'd you bring us here? What, they ran out of graves in Egypt? Meaning they lost, right now, they forgot about the ten miracles they saw in Egypt, just from the plagues and countless other miracles that they saw before and after and during. They forgot that there's a pillar of fire right next to them and a cloud under them. They're not noticing it. Next test, they say, they complain when they had nothing to drink but bitter waters of Marat. They ran out of the equipment that they had. They got to a lake, and the lake was bitter. Said, "Ah, oh, Moshe, would you come to kill us? We're all gonna, uh, we're gonna die from thirst. Our cattle's gonna die. Everyone's gonna die." They forgot about the fact that Hashem just split the ocean for them. That if He split the ocean, then obviously He's gonna be able to find water for them too. He's been around for a while. He knows how to do things. They forgot about that. They forgot about the fact that there's a cloud under them, on the side of them, on the other side of them. There's seven clouds surrounding them. They don't even have to walk on the floor. They're floating. They're floating. They don't even have to step on the floor. They complain against, they complain against uh, again, when they ran out of food. The food they brought, the matzah they brought, whatever they brought, they ran out of it and they said, listen, would you bring us to starve us? They forgot that when the Egyptians were drinking blood, they were drinking water, meaning that if Hashem was able to turn the same water into blood, and for them it was water, obviously He knows that He could he could get them food. And despite the fact that He brought them the manna, the next test, they left the manna over, He told them just have each day what you're going to have. Eat what I give you. Don't save anything for tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll give you new. They didn't believe. They said, no, no, maybe he's not. Maybe I'm going to run out. Maybe he's going to run out. He's not going to be able to give it to me. What do you mean he's going to be, not going to be able to give it to you? The food is coming from Shemaim. Right to your door. You don't have to go to the store even. They complained again. They kept the food. And the food turned into worms and maggots. They told him, listen, just gather food for six days. Shabbat, don't gather any food. Because on, on Friday, I'll give you double portion. I'll give you double portion. You don't have to gather on Shabbat. What did they do? They went looking for Shabbat anyway. They complained against Moshe when their water ran out again. They passed the lake. Whatever they took with them, they ran out. And they got to Refidim. And they complained to Moshe. We ran out of water. What, are you going to try to kill us? What do you mean? You complained a week ago. I got you, Hashem. Got you water last week. If you got you water last week, and the week before, and the week before, and the week before, for a year and a half now, he's already giving you water. Why is he doing it just to kill you today? Just to kill you today? I mean, does that even make sense? 
And then after all of this, and Hashem opens the heavens, and He opens the seven skies, the seven heavens, and He shows them that there's nothing else but Him. He talks to them, and they hear and see His voice. They see the sounds. They see the words that He's saying. They see the sounds that He's making. Meaning when the shofar horn is made, there are sound, there are images of the sound. Being inscribed in the sky. When Hashem says the first commandment, the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 88b, says all of Am Yisrael dies. Why? The holiness of His voice was too much for them to handle. He brings them back. It's not that He fell, He broke His leg, He puts a little uh, thing on it, and now it doesn't hurt as much. It's not that He even makes the miracle of making a crippled guy walk. The guy died. Died. Not just him. Him, his wife, his kids, his cousins, his neighbors, the guys he knew, the guys he didn't know. They all, everyone died. Millions and millions of people, massive amount of people, all die at the same time. So it's not like anyone is like, oh, did you die? Did you die? No, everyone died. And Hashem brings them all back to life. They all felt, they all felt the pain of death. And they all felt, felt the pleasure of life. In moments. And then it happened again. At the second commandment. Again, they hear the voice of Hashem. Too much for their neshama to handle. The neshama leaves their body. They all die again. The Gemaraim Masechet Shabbat says they all died again. And he brings them back again. And they say to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, Moshe. You go talk to him. We will do and then we'll hear. Whatever he says we'll do. And then we'll understand why. We'll ask questions. We'll have a shiur on Tuesday and Wednesday and Sunday and Thursday and this and middle. We'll do all that. But just go talk to him. You You go find out and then come tell us, give us a lecture about it. Why? Because if he continues talking, we're all going to die again. We don't want the pain of death again. No, painful it is to die. The Chachamim, when they got to their, their last days, petrified, every single one of them. Petrified. People think, no, he just went to sleep. He just went to sleep. The Gemarayim, the Sechet Brachot says, the person needs to understand that death, unless you're a tzaddik, is very painful. It's very painful. Rabbi Yisrael Misalan said, if your only reward... If your only reward was to have no punishment. That's it. No Ganeden. No Ganeden. Just your only reward for being a tzaddik was just not to go to Geinom. Was just not to be punished. Not to have any pain. That's the only reward you get. You live a whole life. You go to Tefillah Shachir at 6 o'clock in the morning. And then Mincha. And then Arvit. And you do Tefillin. And Rabbeinu Tam. And Rashi. And then you learn all day. And all night. And you don't uh, enjoy this world. And you do a lot of Tzedakah. And Chesed. And all. You're the greatest person on earth. And he says, and your only reward, your only reward is, don't suffer. After the, this life ends. He says, for that alone, it's worth it. Forget all the and pleasure and all the pleasure in the world is great, and but this world, the next world can't compare. And forget, just not to suffer, Rabbi Yisrael Misalan says, just not to suffer. 
It's worth it. Worth to be tzaddik yesodolam. Hashem loves us so much, He says, not only you're not going to suffer, but I'll even give you a reward. How will I give a reward? You can't even count it. So now Am Yisrael feels the pain of death. They don't want to feel it again. They tell Moshe Rabbeinu, you go talk to him. Moshe brings them the Torah. But unfortunately by the time he comes down, they have forgotten a year worth of miracles in Egypt. They've forgotten the pillar of fire that was behind them. They forgot the clouds they were standing on, the clouds that were on top of them, the clouds that were next to them, protecting them. They forgot that Mount Sinai was on top of them just moments ago where Hashem was threatening to kill all of them if they don't accept the Torah. They forgot the miracle of how He turned the water into from something bitter to something sweet. We're not talking about a cup now. We're talking about a sea, an ocean. They forgot food coming from Shemaim and the Gemara says, how did it taste the man? How did it taste? It says it tasted however way they wanted. How they wanted. What if I wanted chocolate and then seconds later I wanted steak and then seconds later I wanted candy and seconds, I'm chewing it. This whole time I'm chewing it. I'm chewing it and I want candy. I have candy. I'm chewing it. Same chew. Same bite. Uh, now I want cotton candy. Cotton candy. Next one I want steak. Steak. Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. It's kosher. It's mine. Hey, uh, whatever you want. During the bite. During the bite. Whatever flavor you want. It had all the flavors in the world. And the best part about it that many of you are not going to appreciate, Baruch Hashem, because you don't know the pain that I've endured in my life. None of it required them to go to the bathroom. For how long? 40 years. 40 years, Am Yisrael did not go to the bathroom. Why? The manna was so holy that it was consumed entirely by their blood. Meaning everything turned into blood. Everything turned into blood. Nothing had to be wasted to leave the body. You eat food, a lot of it goes out. Why? Because only a small portion of it is actual nutrients that turn into blood. The rest of it needs to leave the body. The manna was the perfect food. So now, they get this manna. They get miracles. They see God's voice. And what do we see here? We see the Moshe Rabbeinu Alava Shalom comes down only to see his people praying to a golden calf. How? How could it be? How could it be, Rabotai? How could it be? You saw, you did. How? Lance we'll momentarily. The next test, number eight, they rebelled against God's commandments. Not just everything we've heard, but even more so. They complained that the manna was not good. What do you mean not good? It tastes the way you want it. If you're, if you're imagining steak, it's steak. If you're imagining ice cream, it's ice cream. 
They said, no, this is bad bread. What bad? You're imagining bad bread. That's why it's bad bread. Imagine something good. And then the last test is they sent the spies. They sent the spies to Eretz Yisrael, the land of milk and honey that Hashem has promised them and their forefathers, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, our forefathers. And the spies say, oh, this land eats its people. This land eats its people. And they believed them, even though it was a lie. question is, we have two very difficult questions, Rabotai. Number one, how is it possible for them to be called Dora De'a, meaning the generation of knowledge, but yet be so stupid to make such horrible sins against the Shemit Barach no less than ten times? It was much more than ten times, but these ten were the most significant. Am Israel. Second question. What's that have to do with us? Not true. The Meraglim, the Meraglim, the Meraglim, they have no law about. Not the nation of Israel. Nation of Israel is us. Meraglim. Meraglim have no law about. But the generation of the desert, of the wilderness, is us. It's me and you. It's people watching. It's people not watching. It's Am Israel. The religious and the non religious. So questions, we have big questions, Rabotai. We have two big questions. We have big questions. We have big questions. We have big questions. Why? These questions are critical. These questions change everything. If you know the answers to these questions, you could do tshuva. If you don't know the answers to these questions, you could live 70, 80, 90, 100 years as a blender. Tochen main, Grinding water. Doing nothing. With your mitzvot in hand. The second question is, as I said, is that what does it have to do with us? We already answered that. We answered it that this generation, this ten issues is us. Meaning what they did, we are doing. Same way, different way, directly or indirectly. We're repeating the same thing. Parashat Balak, at the end of Parashat Balak, we see that they went with not only immodesty, they went with non-Jews too. And Hashem almost destroyed the entire people for that. That's one of the tests. It's one of the tests. Test number nine. 
Some yes, some no. Point is, is that we have a we have an issue here. We have a generation that saw the words of God in the in the heavens. So let's start answering the questions. Let's start answering some questions. Rabbi, what's a ness? What's a miracle? Someone tells me, what if this generation saw the miracles where they, you know, they didn't do tshuva, but maybe we're different. Maybe if Hashem opened up the heavens right now with the merit of the shiur, all of us do tshuva. All of Amisai watches on online, they do tshuva, they witness it. Everybody does tshuva because of a miracle. This first thing that we learned from this generation is that miracles do not get people to do tshuva. Why? No generation ever did before them or after them. See as many miracles as them, yet they tested Hashem ten times. Ten times they tested What's the proof that miracles don't help people do tshuva? The simple proof is that we don't know what miracles are. We think miracles are flying sorcerers or something. We think that if, let's say for example, I start levitating and start giving a shoe while I'm in the air, you'll think it's a miracle. You'll say a miracle is if you make this table float in the middle of the air, that's a miracle. Wrong. It's not when Hashem changes nature. Yes, it's change of nature, but that's not the definition of a miracle. What's a miracle, Abutai? Everything. The fact that you're alive is a miracle. The fact that you can see with two balloons as eyes is a miracle. The fact that you can actually have a sense called smell is a miracle. The fact that you have a tongue that can taste every single type of taste simultaneously is a miracle. The fact that you can hear sounds even if you're not next to what you're listening to is a miracle. The fact that you can hear me, see me live, even if you're at the end of the world right now, is a miracle. The problem is we think that things that are abnormal to us are miracles, but in reality... Miracles are in front of us on a second-by-second basis. When you say, if you make a table fly, that's a miracle, I'm going to respond to you. What about a plane? Isn't that a little bigger than a table? That's, That's a miracle. It's flying. But you don't consider it a miracle. Why? Because you have rationalized it with science. You said, no, it's because of the uh, wings. Many things have wings. They don't fly. No, but it's because of the engines. Many things have engines. They don't fly. No, but it's because of physics. That's why. That's how you rationalize it. Because of physics. Because of wings. Because of oil and gas. And all these different... You've rationalized it and have literally become a kofel. By thinking it's a, not a miracle. To see a giant building flying in the air. You think that you waking up in the morning and being able to speak is a given. When in reality, it's a miracle. Why? The cow is bigger than you and it doesn't speak. The gorilla 
has a bigger brain than you, doesn't speak. The elephant eats better than you, doesn't speak. But you speak. You can write, you can read. No, it's normal, it's a given, I studied. I studied. The fact that you actually have a job, somebody's willing to hire you, tolerate you, and pay you for it too. You think it's a given. Why? I'm skilled. I'm very good at my job. Who said you're good at your job? My customers. My customers said the fact that you have customers is a miracle. But everyone thinks, no, this is a given. Why? You work hard, you you get uh, paid. Plenty of people work much harder than you and don't make a penny. Plenty of people work much harder than you. Go to the mountains. Go to the places where they have volcanoes. See what those people that actually work in the volcano areas, how they are, they get paid to test the gas at the volcano, to test the danger. They get paid a dollar a day. But their life is on a line every second. They have to climb a mountain. When was the last time any of you climbed a mountain? Would you climb a, your bed? They work hard, but they get a dollar a day. They get a dollar a day, you get five thousand. You're complaining, God, how come you only give me five thousand a month? If you give me ten thousand, I'll give tzedakah. The guy making three hundred bucks a week gives more tzedakah than some people. I got a kid, kid, mama's kid, eighteen year old kid. He makes three hundred dollars a week, he donates twenty percent. Now you think, oh, wow, Chazaku he donates 20%. Wow, he donates 60, 80 bucks or something like that a week. $80 a week. Wow, wow, it's good for him. No, 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 you don't understand. You're not understanding what I'm saying here, Rabotai. You're not understanding what I'm saying here. The young boy, 18, 19-year-old kid, Tzadik, he donates $80 a week. That means it's $300 a month, $320 a month. You're not understanding, Rabotai. That $320 a month is more money than most of the other donors that make 10000 a month, 20000 a month, 50000 a month, a million a month. And not just for Bezat Hashem, I'm talking about in the world. You have people making five, ten, twenty thousand a month, they give you a hundred bucks every three months, they think they're tzedikim. Why? What's the difference? Same answer. Same answer. We'll get to the answer. We'll get to the answer. We'll get to the answer. Itro. Itro. Itro is giving us a little bit of a hint to what the answer is. Vaishmaitro. The parasha starts with Itro heard. Okay, heard. A lot of people heard stuff. You guys have been hearing Shulim for two, three years here. A lot of people hear stuff. So what? A lot of people hear things. How many people heard? The whole world heard. Everyone in the world heard. When Mount Sinai happened, it wasn't just exclusive to Am Yisrael. When Mount Sinai happened, the entire planet heard. 
So why does it say Yitro heard? A lot of people heard. Later on in the book of Joshua, we also hear Rachav. Rachav says, we heard. So we know from here, everyone heard. So why does the parasha start, Vaishma Yitro? Why does it say, Vaishma Aulam? The whole world heard. Why is Yishma Yitro? He threw heard, and he did. I heard what Hashem did for Am Yisrael. I'm doing tshuva. How you do tshuva? I'm giving up everything. He was the Pope. He was a multi-milliardaire. He's a zillionaire. All the respect in the world. All the money in the world. Everything you can possibly imagine, he had to give it up on the spot. No, listen, a retirement plan maybe, a 401k, uh, maybe maybe a disability, maybe an insurance policy. Maybe you guys give me a little bit of a uh, you know a uh, uh, you know a golden parachute. That's what we call it in corporate America, golden parachute. You leave a company after you ruin the whole thing, you get fifteen million dollars. Golden parachute. Some people two hundred million dollars. When I was working on Wall Street, that's the main thing that we all laughed about. CEOs ruin the company and they fire them and give them two hundred fifty million dollars to leave. You ruin the company, we're going to give you $250 million to leave. To leave. Just get out. $250 million to leave. Itro? Nothing. Zero. Everything's left. Why? Vaishma itro. Vaishma itro. Itro heard. What do you hear? He heard what Hashem did for Am Yisrael. He heard something supernatural happened. The slave became the master. The master became the slave. This is supernatural. This is not normal. This is a miracle. If there's a miracle, I don't have to see it. I heard about it, it's finished. Enough. I don't have to see it. I heard. God of Israel is the greatest. That's enough for me. Hashem says, that's enough for you. I'm going to make a whole parasha for you. If that's just to hear my words, not even to see... You heard about me and you acted? Shrecha. Itro got a whole parasha after him. Itro became a ger tzedek. Itro got the Ruach HaKodesh. Itro became a navi. Itro's children got the Ruach HaKodesh. Itro became the most significant convert in history of his time. And perhaps ever in history. Why? Vaishma. Vaishma Yitro. That was enough. That was enough. Now, Hashem likes to give us presents. If we just do, if we're tamim, tiyem Hashem, be simple with Hashem, you don't need a million and a half proofs. You heard, you do. He says, you know what, Yitro, maybe people are not going to understand for generations what it means, what you did. So I'm going to make sure that they are using your wisdom for the rest of their lives. Jews and non-Jews. How Hashem? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do it? I'm going to give you an idea that's not exactly such a noble prize, if you will. But you're going to be the first one to have it. And anyone that uses it will have to say, Yitro had the first idea. What is it? Legal system. The legal system, the same legal system that even the Noahides are obligated to follow, 
Itro came up with. Itro saw Moshe judging the people. And he told them, you can't judge the people this way. It's bad for you, it's bad for them. You have to make a legal system. Higher court, lower court, middle court, so on and so forth. Big cases, small cases, and so on and so forth. This wasn't exactly such a genius idea. I mean, technically, Moshe probably would have been able to you know, figure it out on his own. No, he throw had it. Why? I want everyone to know you get special gifts when you just tamim Hashem. And he gives Moshe Rabbeinu this idea that today the world follows a legal system, a supreme court, a civil court, and so on. All this started in Parashat Yitro. Now when it's time to pick the judges, when it's time to pick the people to run these courts, Yitro gives us a secret. Yitro gives us the answer. He gives us the answer to these tests. He gives us the answer to a lot of things, or at least one of the clues. He says to Itro, Itro says to Moshe, Itro says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, you have to put certain people in, in power. What kind of people? What kind of people should I put? He said you should put men of accomplishment. What, Moshe didn't know? Who's going to put the losers? Who's going to put all the homeless people? All the guys that are drug addicts? Who's he going to put? What's the chidush here? Men of accomplishment. Put God-fearing people. What do you want to put, atheists? Of course God-fearing people. Says men of truth. What do you want to put? Liars? A corrupt legal system? What's the point then? And then he says, men who despise money. Oh. What does one thing have to do with the other? Why do they have to hate money for? What does one thing have to do with the other? Men of accomplishment, Abutai, he's not just talking about people that have positions that have stature, but also people that have achieved significant spiritually connection to Hashem. Achievement to such an extent that they got to the level of having Yirat Shemaim. Learning Torah for 20 years, but you still don't have Yirat Shemaim, you're learning the wrong Torah. If your focus is to do everything but learn about Yirat Shemaim, you're learning something crooked. You want to be a man of accomplishment, achieve Yirat Shemaim. But the only way that you're going to get to have Yirat Shemaim, and the only way you're going to get to have God-fearing people, is if you are a man of truth. You cannot have Yirat Shemaim and lie at the same time. You cannot be a liar and have Yirat Shemaim at the same time. It's not possible. If you're a liar, you have no Yirat Shemaim. Why? Because all liars think the same thing. No one's watching. I'm the only one that knows. I'm the only one that's smart. Everyone else is a fool. People that are liars naturally think that everyone is a fool. And no one is watching, including Hashem. 
So when you have Yirat Shemaim, by definition, you have to be a man of truth. But now, now he says something that doesn't fit. Men of accomplishment in Torah, Chazal says, fits. God-fearing people, fits. Men of truth, fits. This is like three pieces to a puzzle. The one thing that doesn't fit is people that hate money. What does it have to do with anything? Said they don't accept bribes. That doesn't mean they hate money. It just means they're honest. It could fit with the truth. It could fit with men of truth. Why? Why do we have something so against material? Why is this a requirement for a judge? How does it fit? It's a fourth piece to the puzzle. Salary, no salary. You got to live. You got to eat. You got to eat. We'll get to the answer. We'll get to the answer. Rav Steinemann, Alav Shalom, was an Avrech. But not just an Avrech, he was also a teacher. He taught Torah and he learned Torah. One time, the yeshiva that he was at learning and teaching ran out of money. Ran out of money. Follow. Nine months. Nine months, he goes to work every day. He learns all day. He teaches all night. Now, even when he gets paid, it's not exactly uh, a lot of money. It's 1,500 shekels, 400 bucks. But still, you live, you survive. Him and his wife, Tamar, now, instead of getting the measly 1,500, we get zero. How long? Nine months. Nine months. For nine months, whatever they had is gone. They have to survive. So for Shabbat, we have to eat. So the Rabbanit Tamar, she says, you know, can't afford meat, can't afford chicken, can't afford chulint, can't afford these things. But we have to eat. So Shabbat, we're going to have chatzil, we're going to have uh, eggplant, a piece, tiny small piece of eggplant, and a piece of bread to replace the meat meal. And then, the next morning, Shabbat afternoon, we're going to have also a piece of eggplant and bread. For what? To replace the soda in the afternoon after you come back from shul. And then for Zudah Shlishit, after have soda to replace the chulin, to replace the uh, chameen, to replace the whatever you're going to eat there. Another piece of, guess what? Eggplant and a piece of bread. Kiddush. How long? Nine months. After nine months, the Rosh Yeshiva finally, Baruch Hashem, gets the money, raises some money, and he comes to the Rav Steinemann, Allah was shalom, and he says, he gives him a big check for nine months worth of salary. He hasn't paid him. 
Rav Steinemann says, looks at the check, no, no, sorry, this is yours, not mine. Because no, 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 for the Rav, I didn't pay you for nine months. I didn't pay you for nine months. He says, listen, I don't learn or teach Torah for money. I don't learn and teach only teach Torah for money. I do it because Hashem commanded me to do it. I only take the money because I have to live. I need to eat, drink, and so on. So the fact that I haven't gotten the money, but yet I'm still alive nine months later, only means I didn't need the money. Look, I'm alive. So if I didn't need the money, obviously I wasn't entitled to it either. So this money is not mine. Just like us. Just like us. Identical. Where are we and where is Rav Steinemann? He says, if I didn't get the, if I'm still alive without getting the money, that means the money didn't belong to me. It's not my money. So at least he said, okay, take this month's check at least. He gives the check to the Rabbanit. The Rabbanit, finally we got money, first time in almost a year. She is, Shabbat's coming up, she wants to celebrate. What? We're going to get some chicken, we get some meat finally. Finally, we haven't eaten meat in a year almost. On Friday, he sees she made soup with chicken. Doesn't say anything. It's... Then after he sees, after the soup with the chicken, he sees a piece of meat. And uh, some type of stew she made. After they finish eating, he says, don't say anything. The next day, he sees this chulet with meat. And he says, where did you get all this? She says, oh, we had some money, so we bought to celebrate. He says, were you suffering? He tells the Rabbanit, were you suffering the last nine months that we're just eating eggplant and bread? She says, no, not at all. Was it bad for you? Did you not enjoy it or anything? She goes, no, 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 it was fine. Goes, so let's just go back to that. Let's just go back to that. If we survived on this, that means it's the only thing we need. This gives us the down payment definition of what it means to be a sonebatsa, hater of money. Not that you hate money where you think that you're going to get money from Shemaim. We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody that's sameach bechilko, that's happy with his share regardless of what his share is. And hates anything that doesn't belong to him. Unfortunately, many of us look at everything that doesn't belong to us. We look at his car, and his house, and her uh, this, and her that, and his account, and his stock, and his company, and his salary, and her salary, and her shoes, and her sweater, and this bag. Wow, can you believe it? She's going around with a $3,000 bag. Wow, can you believe it? He has a brand new car. He just had a brand new car last year. Wow, can you believe it? Her husband bought her a car too. Wow, can you believe it that they have a bigger house? Wow, can you believe it? They're extending their house. We're constantly looking at other people's share, which causes us to have a cancer inside because we're eating ourselves constantly because we don't have what they have. 
But in reality, Rabotai, if you don't have it, that means it's not for you. It's not good for you. To look at his watch and his car and his house and his this and his that is cancer. It's cancer. Another amazing story about Rav Steinemann that gives you a perspective of someone that's Baal Emunah. A lot of people like to talk about Emunah. There's the Emunah this and the Emunah that. And you should just have Emunah and you should just believe and you believe and believe and believe. Well, let's just see real Emunah. There was a certain Avrech that had 17 kids. Baruch Hashem. What was his salary, Rabotai? Same 1,500 shekels a month. Of course, to make ends meet with 17 kids, donations come in from different places, but still, every month that you survive is a miracle. But now, when the kids are little, a certain amount of money is required. When they get older, more money is required. Why? You have to wed your kids. And there's certain customs, whether it's for Ashkenazi or Sephardi, that you have to come up with some money to get the kids married. So this Avrech had to wed one of his kids, his daughter. She found a Chatan. And the Chatan came from a religious family also. But the father was a businessman. Businessman with some money. No shortage of money, Baruch Hashem. But the custom was that the Kala and her family have to, in order for the wedding to happen, they have to get an apartment. They have to buy them an apartment. The apartment has to come from the Kala's family. From what? 1,500 shekels a month? Where are you going to get an apartment from? So anyways, the families meet, the Khatan, the Kala, they like each other, they want to get married, but now the families meet. The second line of negotiation. Which is craziness. But nonetheless, in today's world, that's, that's such as life. And the father of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the Chatan says, listen, if you want my son to marry your daughter, you have to get an apartment. He says, listen, uh, I'm an Avrech. You realize, you're the businessman. I'm the Avrech. He says, Avrech, no Avrech, it's your problem. You want my son, you have to get an apartment. That's the Minag. That's the custom. I'm holding to it. Minag le'alacha. Some people say, Minag is like Alakha. Even though it's not necessarily so true. They say if Shabbat was a Minag, everybody keeps Shabbat. But because it's Alakha, they don't keep it. So, the Avrech says, you know what, let's go to my Rav, we'll go to Rav Steinemann. Dola Dol, 90 years old, Kodesh Kodeshim, As a side story, side story, a lot of people knew that Rav Steinemann didn't have a sense of smell. He lost his sense of smell. Now, he wasn't born without a sense of smell. He had a sense of smell. But one day, he lost it. Many don't know how he lost it. So one time, his wife told a story. His wife, Tamal, says that one day, the Rav, he was walking, wherever he was walking, and he smelled some unusual smell. And only moments later he realized that the smell is coming from incense from a church. 
Avodah Zarah. Incense. They were making some incense in the church, and he smelled the incense. Not on purpose. It was in the street. He smelled the incense of Avodah Zarah. As soon as he realized that he enjoyed for a second, indirectly, unintentionally, the smell of Avodah Zarah, he started crying to Hashem hysterically, praying to Him to take and remove his sense of smell. To remove his sense of smell. The next day, Hashem answered his prayers. His sense of smell was gone for the rest of his life. Now Rabbi Ephraim gave a chidush about this story. He says, you know, Rav, the Rav Steinemann never prayed to lose anything else. He never prayed to lose his eyesight. He never prayed to lose his hands. He never prayed to lose his, his arms, his feet, his anything else. Why? Because everything else then never sinned, even unintentionally. That's a ish kadosh. That's a ish kadosh. So now this Rev Steinman, obviously Chacham, Gaon, Tzaddik, everything good, they come to him, the Avrech, with 17 kids and 1,500 shekels, and the businessman, and say, Dayan, who has to pay for the apartment? Rav Steinemann says, yes, you're right. The Avrech that makes 1,500 shekels a month, he has to pay 75% of the apartment. And the businessman with a lot of money, only 25%. Now all of you are asking, wait, hold on, maybe the made a mistake. It's supposed to be the opposite. No, no, it's not a mistake. This is what he said. And the Avrech was dumbfounded. He said, Kvodav, I'll do what you say. I'll do what you say. I'll do it. No problem. No problem. Be, accept Hashem completely, whether you understand, don't understand. Have emunah in the chachamim. No problem. But lamdeni, like teach me, how does this make any sense? How can, I'm making, you know how much I make for the Rav. You're an Avrech also. We make 1,500 shekels a month. It's a miracle we're surviving. 17 kids is another miracle. To survive with the 17 kids, another miracle. To get an apartment? I can't get an apartment now. How? He says, Rav Steinemann says something that if you understand what it means, changes your life. He says, listen, you are ben Torah. You learn Torah. That means nature, nature is not relevant to you. Natural course of events are not connected to you. Why? You're ben Torah. The world exists for you. You fulfill the will of Hashem, you learn Torah, you fulfill His will, you're one of the learners. Nature and the normal course of events are not relevant to you. He says, he, he's a miskin. He says, a poor guy. He depends on nature. He works all day and he depends on his own will, on his own power, on his own efforts. So we need to help him out. We need to only let him only pay 25% because how much could he possibly do with his own powers? This was enough for the Avrech to say, okay, I accept it. It doesn't make any sense to us right now. But the Avrech himself told the story, he says, over the next two days, for whatever reason or another, miraculously, people just came up to him strangely. No one knew the story. No one heard the judgment. No one witnessed nothing. It was him, the businessman, Rav Steinemann. People started coming up to this Avrech and just gave him money. He said in 48 hours, he raised money to pay for the apartment. 
Baruch Hashem is a life. A life that you live and survive is Baruch Hashem. This is like, you can't thank Hashem enough. But when you learn Torah to such an extent, nature doesn't apply to you anymore. Now we have a generation, they knew a lot of Torah. Why? They received all of it. They received all the Torah directly from the source. But yet, we see them complaining against Hashem. Complaining, 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 and testing Hashem. What was the problem? When Am Yisrael crossed the Sea of Reeds, Hashem showed them miracles that even the Prophet Yechezkel did not see. He said, even the babies inside the bellies of their mothers were singing the song, Crossing the Ocean. The babies were singing. The babies were seeing everything. The heavens were being opened. I mean, the miracles that you read in the Midrashim are unbelievable. But yet, as soon as we crossed the ocean, Am Yisrael went where? They saw all the gold coming off of the chariots of the Egyptians, and they ran to the gold. Chazal says, they forgot about God. And they went to the gold. Said, oh, thank you for the miracles. Heavens, wow, amazing, good job. There's gold over here, I'll be right back. There's gold over here. Hashem, you know what? Wow, heavens, unbelievable. You did a good job over there, but I got, I got the gold over here. I got the gold over here, Hashem, I'll be right back. I'll be back in a few hours. Look how much gold is over here. Hashem gave the man. Hashem gave the man. Amisle says, you know what, Hashem, this is great. Thank you. It's just, I need something new. I need something new. What do you mean new? Taste? Imagine something new. It'll be new. No, no, I need something else. Different texture. Okay, imagine different texture. It'll be different texture. No, I need something with different new and different this and different that and different this. You send Moshe Rabbeinu to Mount Sinai. Get the Torah. Ah, he's not back. Ah, maybe we need something new. Why are you constantly looking for something new? Why do you need something new all the time? The Gemara says there's never been a man that dies with even half of his desires. You give him a hundred, he wants two hundred. You give him two hundred, he wants four hundred. You give him four hundred, he wants eight hundred. And he will never die with even half of what he actually wants. When a person does not know how to control his character trait, his midah of his lust, his desires, his consumption, he can never be connected to Hashem completely. Why? Because even if Hashem makes a miracle right in front of him, he's always going to look for something more. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. You give him a miracle, that's it. What do you mean? What else do you want? 
But that's it. That's all it was. That's it. What? The hell? Okay, so you open the heaven, seven, seven heavens. Great, but that's it? What do you mean? What else do you want? At least give us some bread. Okay, you have bread. Okay, at least give us some of uh, this, some of that. But it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. Why? You don't know how to control yourself. You're constantly looking at the other guy. And when the other guy has something, you're looking at someone else. When the other guy has something, you look at someone else. And someone else and someone else. And eventually when you run out of people next to you, you start imagining someone else. You're competing against someone imaginary. They even invented a term for it. You're competing against the Joneses. The Joneses don't exist. But we're competing against them. This is the secret, Rabotai. The Yitro Akadosh was trying to tell us. You want to be Ha'ishemet. You want to be a man of accomplishment. You want to really show your Yirat Shamaim. You have to hate money. What does it mean, hate money? Be happy with your share. Don't look at the other grass being greener. And don't ever question what you got. Don't be cheap with what you have because you think it's going to end. The Gemara says that Rabbi Eliezer Agadol, Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinos, says someone that ate today but is wondering, where is my food going to come from tomorrow is someone that has zero emuna. Why? You ate today. What are you worried about tomorrow? If Hashem gave you food today, Obviously, I'll give you food tomorrow. Why are you so worried about tomorrow? People plan for their retirement and their vacations and their bar mitzvahs and their weddings and the grandkids' weddings. They haven't even gotten married yet. But they're worried about the grandkids getting married and them having an IRA account and a 401k account. And Who knows if you're going to survive that long? Who says you're going to live to 70 years old to get the benefits from this retirement account? People save so much money, they don't even know how to enjoy the day-to-day. You tell the guy, listen, you realize that there's millions of Jews that don't know if God is real. Millions of Jews. How many millions? Somewhere in the neighborhood of 67%. 67% of Ami Sayyid does not know for sure if God is real. We're not talking about the world of 8 billion people. We're talking about the nation of holy people. The nation of God doesn't know if God is real. And you happen to have a tool that can help them. Help them identify who God really is. I help them identify a purpose. But you're like, no, I'm saving for my retirement. I'm saving for my next house. You have a house? What do you need another house for? No, it needs to be bigger. Why? You have a bigger family? No, I only have me, my wife, and a dog. So what do you need eight rooms for? What do you need four rooms for? For what? Why do you have four cars with only two drivers? How much jewelry do you possibly need? No one knows you're wearing anything else anyway. No one pays attention. And if they are, it's Ainara anyway. It's not good for you. When you're so connected to material, you get to a point that you live a life and you miss the whole point. You miss a whole point of living. You miss the whole point of what your purpose is in this world. 
to such an extent that you start believing you're the one that's making the money. You're the one that's sustaining yourself. You're the one that's creating miracles and you are in control of your own destination. All of those are wrong. The only thing that you have in your hands is whether you fear Hashem or not. Meaning, how much, how much are you going to learn? How much are you going to do in accordance to what He says? How much are you going to believe in Him? How much are you going to fear Him? How much effort are you going to extend on certain things? A certain Ben Torah went to, went to Rav Steinemann and he asked him, for the Rav, I'm an Avrech, I this, I, you know, I learn all day, and it's good, I love it, but I, it's time for me to find a Shiduch. I need to find a wife. You know, so maybe I should go into the work world, maybe I should go into, uh, I don't know, to certain this, certain this, I, different things to find a wife. You're obligated to find a wife. He says, you learn Torah? He says, yeah, I learned Torah. All day? All day. Okay, so you can allow yourself, if you learn Torah all day, you're Avrech. You learn Torah all day. Not your batlan, you sit at home uh, playing uh, video games. You learn Torah all day. Yes. You really learn this. You're not smoking cigarettes outside all day. Learn Torah, learn Torah. You're not just playing with your phone to see what uh, what videos came out. No, no. Learn Torah, learn Torah. If you learn Torah all day, you can allow yourself 30 seconds per day to go find a wife. The rest of the time you go learn Torah. What do you mean 30 seconds? What do you mean 30 seconds? You just go like this, you finish 30 seconds. To say the story took more than 30 seconds. What do you mean 30 seconds? She says, yes, you can allow yourself 30 seconds. What's the problem? What's the question? Lamdeni, teach us. What does it mean? She says, listen, if you're learning Torah, that means you know God. If you know God, that means you know that He does everything anyway. He's doing everything. Nothing is in your hands. Not your wife, not the kids that you don't have, not the parents, not the, nothing. Nothing is in your hands. If you learn Torah, and you know everything is in Hashem's hands, the only obligation you have is to show that you have some effort to make it look natural. So, 30 seconds is enough. Go learn Torah. The wife will arrive. The wife will arrive, Rabbi The wife will arrive. You don't need to go to Shatchan. You don't need to go to anywhere. The wife will arrive. If you learn Torah. If all day you're standing in front of a wall and do nothing, different story. You're depending on nature. You have to do more. But if you learn Torah, nature is not relevant to you. It's not relevant to you. That's the Ishtadlut you could allow yourself. 30 seconds a day. 30 seconds a day. So now, another Shiduch story is Rabbi Elimelech Mijensk. Rabbi Elimelech Mijensk, Allah Shalom. Somebody came to him, person, religious, Barminan had a uh, child, had a daughter that stopped growing at two years old. Stopped growing at two years old. Nothing. They went to doctors, they went to this, they went to that. No one could do anything. The girl continued growing up in age, but not in size. Eventually, at 16 years old, she still looks like a baby that's two years old. Shem No cures, no nothing. 
His wife for years has been trying to convince him to go to the tzaddik, the Gdolador, Rabbi Eliezer Mijensk. Go to him. At 16 years old, he sees his daughter is suffering, he sees a family is suffering. He gives in. When he gets to the house of Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer is not there. Rabbi Elimelech, Rabbi Elimelech is, is not there. Rabbi Noam Elimelech Mijensk. So he just enters the house and uh, he puts the daughter, he puts his 16-year-old, two-year-old two daughter on the bed. It's like a baby. Miskena. A little later, Rabbi Elimelech walks in and he sees, everyone knows, you're not allowed to go into the rabbi's bed. He sees this baby-looking kid laying on his bed, and he yells, Chutzpanit! Get off the bed! And for the first time in her life, this little girl, that's really 16 years old, actually is able to get up. Otherwise, she can't get up. She gets up, she stands on the bed, she gets off the bed, and then she falls. Immediately, the guy sees, okay, Rabbi Melech is not your normal local rabbi. Fine. He starts crying to the Rav, the Rav, I'm sorry, I should have come sooner. What can we do? What can I do? My daughter, she's really 16, she's this, she's that. What can I do? What can I do? He goes, no worry, stop worrying. The same God that said a few words and created the world can heal your daughter, no problem. Wow, who, what, how? Oh, Brings the daughter, he puts his hand, his left hand, Specifically, says in the story, left hand for a reason. Put his left hand over the girl. Doesn't touch the girl. Over the girl. And he just, as if you go on the cup, he just raises his hand a little higher, a little higher. Every time he goes a little higher, the girl grows. Eventually, he tells the Rabbi Elimelech, stop, stop, she's going to be too big already. She can't fit into the door. She grew up in moments to be fully grown. This is not 2,000 years ago, Rabbi so now, the, the guy is shocked, obviously. He's scared to death. He has no idea what just happened. He, has, he wants to leave. Uh, okay, okay, come on, come on. No, 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 come on, come on. She's talking, she's speaking. She's a full-grown woman, 16 years old. She doesn't know what to do with himself. What just happened here? Rabbi Elimelech, oh, hold on a second. Hashem also wants her to have a shiduch. Hashem wants her to have a shiduch. So, just remember, in a couple of months, don't be a batlan. Don't be, uh, don't give up on anything. Listen, in a couple of months, someone's going to come to you, it's going to be Shiduch. Okay, okay, for the Rav, okay, fine, whatever you say. They say no? How? How could it be? Since you believe the story, good. You don't believe it's your problem. Well, people say, no, it's mystical, it's crazy, it's supernatural, it can't happen. So, you don't want to believe, don't believe it's your problem. When you learn Torah, it's very easy to believe such things. Why? You understand what Hashem can do. There's no limitations. When you have limitations, that means you're because you're limiting God. How could it be that uh, Rabbi Elimelech could do such a thing? It's not Rabbi Elimelech, it's Hashem. But why does Rabbi Elimelech, the one that actually exercised this, this huge power, why? Because he became a replica of a Sefer Torah. Became a replica of a Sefer Torah. But to get to such a point... You cannot just do it just by learning. It requires serious emunah and serious yirat The one thing that 
Rav Steinemann would constantly do, he would constantly compare everything to Gehenom. Such as, one time they gave him, uh, Daisa is what, oatmeal? It's like oatmeal? Daisa? Daisa is like oatmeal, yeah. So one time they gave him Daisa, they gave him oatmeal, but it was really hot. Farina? They get the point, oatmeal. Daisa. Whichever one, they taste the same, I think. Or close. Anyway, they gave him food, and it was really, really hot. Oh, it's a genom, it's a genom. It's a genom, it's just hot food for the Rav. No, it's genom, this is genom, this is genom. It's a reminder, it's a reminder to me. Okay, you burn your tongue a little bit. Oh, it's a reminder to me. Everything that was hot, it's hot outside, it's This Everything's genom. Here's a strict. Alvai, I like I'll be half as strict as him. What are you talking about? Alvai. I could be a quarter of him. Five percent of him. One percent of him. Everything is genom. Everything is. Everybody thinks, oh, it's some old man just sitting there. No! You don't get to that, that level. Just being some local lovey dovey care bear. You don't get there. You don't get there. Why? Because you know God is real. When Rabbi Elimelech, the same Rabbi Elimelech that did this miracle when he was when he was later on, somebody that saw what happened, the Gabai saw what happened. The students had a problem believing it. The students, like, well, come on, Rabbi Elimelech did that. Not the miracle. The miracle they knew. No, no, it's no problem. What was the problem? What did they have a suffix? It's a fact that it happened. Why? We don't believe that Rabbi Elimelech would be, would allow himself to get so close to a woman. Okay, she looks like she's two years old, but how could he put his hand on top of her? Nah, come on. Rabbi Elimelech would never do that. The Gabbai says, no, no. This is why I said it's the left hand. What's the difference? Left hand, right hand. Left hand, right hand. One, two, three. What's happened? What's, what, what's the difference? One, two, three. What's happened? What's left hand, right hand? What's the difference? Ah, left hand is another story. What's the other story? Rabbi Elimelech years before saw, his, I believe it was his sister, playing with a baby. Baby, one-year-old baby, two-year-old baby. She's playing, and the baby, you know the baby, little babies, they're cute. They like to play. How do they play? They don't play tic-tac-toe. They don't play uh, fine words. What do they play? They play with their hands. They hit you. They, they play with stuff. They take stuff. They pull your hair. They pull your nose. They play with your ears. They just, they're physical. That's all they have. So he saw a little baby hitting his mom. But playing hitting. He tells his sister, no. Don't let the baby hit you. Don't let the baby hit you. She says, it's a baby. Don't let the baby hit you. He goes, you were a baby also. Well, you also did it. He thought for a second. He started recollecting his whole entire life. He went back to when he was one years old. And he remembered that one time his left hand hit his mom when they were playing. Immediately he got the fear of God in him. He took the hand and put it into the fire and burned his hand to nothing. Burned his hand, lost all nerves. Why? This hand must suffer for hitting my mom when I was one years old. Don't try this at home, Abutai. This is Rabbi Ali Melech, not you. Well, look, look, I'll show it to you. I'll show it to you a few, a few of the other things after. 
The point is, I don't want to change this train of thought. The point is, is that Rabbi Elimelech didn't get to a point of being a person that can make miracles as a vehicle of God just because he learned some uh, some books. Like I asked this guy, this kofir, oh, how many books do you read? Now what's the last five books? He shows me his entire collection of books. How much is his entire collection of books? Six books. Entire collection of books. He decided God is not real based on six books. One of them is Bill Nye, the science guy, a comedian. That's how he based his, his, his knowledge on a comedian's, uh, comedian's interpretation. When you're Ish Kadosh, you have to understand God runs the world. But Am Israel had the Torah. Many people have the Torah in front of them. Many people have the Torah in their hands. It's never been easier to learn Torah. Never been easier. In previous generations, if you taught Torah, they'd kill you. They'd literally kill you. The Gemara in Masechet Abu Dazara, page 17. It says a story about Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Hanina ben Teradion would teach Torah in public. When? During the times when the Roman Empire, Machshimam Vizichram, decided that anyone that teaches Torah, we're going to kill him. But not kill him in a nice way, shoot him in the head or something. No! Or hang him. No, no. Kill him in the most unusual death there is. Rabbi Hanina went in public. Now he didn't hide. He didn't go into a room. He didn't go into the Beknesset. He went in the middle of the street. Rabotai, I have a chidush. Come. No, no emails, no WhatsApp, no nothing. 500 people show up. Start teaching Torah. Yeah, but the Romans are right there. They're going to watch. They're going to kill you. That's not my problem. What do you mean it's not your problem? Hashem said, I have to teach Torah. I teach Torah. What's the problem? What's the question? What's the question? I have to teach Torah. Teach Torah. So Rabbi Harina would teach daily. His rabbi... Rabbi Yossi ben Chisma, ben Chisma, he hears about this, he comes to Rabbi Hanina, and he says, Rabbi Hanina, is it true that you're teaching Torah in public, Beforesia? Haven't you heard that the evil Roman Empire have a decree to kill anyone that teaches Torah? And we know that this decree is being allowed in Shemaim. Why? Because they're fulfilling it. They're killing the Chachamim. They're destroying the Bet HaMikdash. We're seeing that Hashem has a decree against Am Yisrael right now. So it's not just a bunch of Rishayim that hate Jews. We're seeing that Hashem is allowing their actions to come into, into action. And you're still teaching? Rabbi Hanina ben Tardion says, Hashem irachem. Hashem will have mercy. Rabbi Yossi says to him, what do you mean Hashem will have mercy? I'm saying to you, I'm telling you things of wisdom. What's happening in Shemaim? What's happening over here? And all you say to me is Hashem Yerachem? I'll be surprised if they don't burn you with the Sefer Torah in your hands. What do you think? Rabbi Yossi was cursing him? Chas v'shalom. Rabbi Yossi saw with Ruach HaKodesh, this is about to happen any day now. 
They're going to take Rabbi Hanina, they're going to burn him with the Sefer Torah, and that's exactly what happened. They took Rabbi Hanina, they took the Sefer Torah, they rolled it around him, they put a sponge in between him and the Sefer Torah to allow him to live longer while he's being burned, so he can suffer more. But why am I telling you this story? It's not Tisha B'Av. Why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you this story because after Rabbi Yossi told Rabbi Hanina that he's going to die, Rabbi Hanina didn't say, Oh, oh, Khatanu, oh, oh, no, I'm going to stop. I swear I'm going to stop. Let me, let me, let me, I'm sorry. I'm not going to teach Torah anymore. What did he do? says, Kvod Arav, do I have Olam Abba or not? What do you mean do you have Olam Abba? You're Kodesh Kodeshim. You're teaching Torah at the time that everyone else is scared to speak. You don't have, you're worried about Olam Abba. You would think, Rabbi Yossi would say, of course you have Olam Abba. You're Kodesh. You're Ish Kadosh. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, tell me some of the things you did. Tell me some of the things you did. Tell, tell me some of your actions. Tell me some things you did. What, it's not enough that he built kolels all over the country? It's not enough that he built yeshivot everywhere? It's not enough that he's teaching in the middle of the street? It's not enough that he has Ruach HaKodesh? It's not enough that he's a Tana? It's not enough that he can speak to God and God answers? That's not enough? No. He says, tell me some of your ma'asim, some of the things you did. Rabbi Hanina says, well, there was one time that I got the donation money, pouring money, and it got mixed with my money. My money got mixed with the donation money, and I didn't know, I wasn't sure which one was which, so I just gave all the money to the Anim. I gave all the money to the poor people. B.O.C. Ben Chisma says, Alvayalai to have such a share like you. Alvayalai, I wish that I have a share like you in Olam what do you mean? The kolel, the yeshiva, the ruach hakodesh, the what happened? What do you? That's it. You just okay. You saved some money. You gave some donation. That's it. That's it. Yes, Rabbi. Here we learn a critical lesson from the Gemara. What's the lesson? What's the lesson? Rabbi Chanina, with all the Torah that he learned, with all the Torah that he taught, with all the Torah that he tried to spread to the world. Rabbi Yossi said to him, all of that, maybe you're doing it for yourself. You have some benefit out of it. Torah, at the end of the day, it's very interesting. So you get a joy out of it. The kolel, the yeshivot, you teach it, they give you kavod, they give you a salary. Maybe you're doing it for the money. Maybe you're doing it for the kavod. You know how many rabbis don't believe a word of Torah but teach? I know one guy that's a principal here in Florida. He's a principal of a school. Is a safek if he believes in God bechlal. He's a principal of a school. Safek if he believes in God. I know for sure he said in a shoe, I saw with my own eyes. I didn't hear. I saw with my own eyes. He says, Am Yisrael, there's no such thing as miracles. I told you about this maybe a week or two ago. He says, there's no such thing as miracles. The Yam Suf, the, the Sea of Reeds, it split because of a tsunami. The Sea of Reeds split because of a tsunami. That's what he said. I saw it with my own eyes. It's not, I'm not, uh, it's not hearsay. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw his mouth say it. Now, 
the point is, Rabotai, is that all the Torah that he was teaching, he says, maybe you get a benefit out of it. You get money, you get kavod, honor. People like you. People think you're smart. Who knows? You have a vest, you have a bias. You have a side arrangement. You have something. You have benefit out of it. But if you're sonei batza, you hate money. Meaning you're happy with what you have, and you're scared to even touch something that doesn't belong to you. You have yirat shemaim. You have yirat shemaim. You're connected to Hashem. You know who runs the world. You know who said a few words, and the world was created from it. You know the truth. You, Alvaya Lai, to have a share in the world to come like you. Alvaya Lai. This Rabotai is what was the missing piece. People ask all the time, what's my tikkun? What's my tikkun? What's my tikkun? What's my tikkun? Someone came to Rabbi Elimelech. The same Rabbi Elimelech we spoke about and said a few stories. He said, Kvod Arav, this generation that you're in, what's the tikkun for the generation? He says, Tikkun of that generation, Tzitzit, Mitzvah Tzitzit. He says, if everyone wears Tzitzit, Mashiach would come. Why? Tzitzit, he says, everyone does so many mitzvot every second, we're going to get the Geula. Unfortunately, we didn't succeed. Unfortunately, we didn't succeed. Years later, students of students of students of his continued. It got to Rav Steinerman. And they asked Rav Steinerman, what is the tikkun of this generation? What is the tikkun of this generation, Kvod Arav? Say, we know from Rabbi Elimelech, I mean tzitzit, that's it. No, no, tikkun of tzitzit is not for us anymore. You have to wear tzitzit regardless, but that's not the tikkun of the generation. What's the tikkun, Kvod Arav? We need Mashiach to come. The Rav says, you have to have real emunah in Hashem. What's real emunah? Real emunah starts with your pocket. Real emunah starts with your business. Real emunah starts with where your eyes look. If it's your neighbor's bank account or just what you have. Is it an Hashem is creating it or you think you're making it? Real emunah starts in your pocket. If you have a tough time giving ma'asir, you have no emunah. If you have a tough time not being jealous, you have no emunah. If you are complaining to Hashem because you don't think He's giving you enough, you have no emunah. Not literally zero. It's just not enough. You have to work on it. You have to fix your tikkun. You have to get to a point of being soneh batzah, soneh, hate money. Not hate it like you are going to live on the street like a bum. Well, I'm Israel, well, I'm Kodesh. We have to be like kings and queens. There's a way to be a king and queen. Not a show-off. Not a guy that's making a show on TV to show everybody your house. Not to get enough stores in your house like it looks like a sandwich. Not to waste money on nonsense when there's plenty of people who don't have enough food for Shabbat. Hashem gave you a talent. You must use it. And we'll finish it with this. Someone came to this very same tzaddik. It's the very same tzaddik I told you a story about that I'm not telling you the name. The same one that I told you that I told him someone is sick, he said no problem. The next day they were healed. That one. I said, 
Kvod Arav, you gotta help me out. I mean, there's so many speakers in the world, they speak different things, ta ta ta, there's really good speakers, what should I say, what should I do to maybe encourage them to say the truth? He says this to me. He doesn't say many words, but he just says this. He says, listen, Hashem is going to talk to every single person at some point. After 120 or after 20, whichever it is. So talk to every person, face to face. When I get up to Shemayim and he talks to them, he's going to say, listen, I gave you a talent to speak. I gave you a talent to speak and all you decided to do is tell people nice stories. Did anyone do tshuva? Did anyone get closer to me? Did anyone do anything other than give you honor, give you respect and give you money? Then what's the point of me giving you this talent? What's the point? You used what I gave you against me. A certain woman came to the Rav and she said, For the Rav, I can't handle it. My uh, husband is trying to teach Torah. He gets people to do tshuva and so on, but uh, he's gone all the time. I want a husband. I want to do it. I want to do a kirub. I want to go teach. I, I want to be out. I don't want to be home all the time. He says, it's too bad. He says, what do you mean it's too bad? He says, it's too bad you're going to be a widow soon. She says, what do you mean widow? No, no, no. I'm just. I'm not going to kill him. I'm just saying, I just want to, I, I want to, I don't want him to be a speaker. Go get a regular job, nine to five, and that's it, be a regular husband. He says, yes, it's too bad you're going to be a widow soon. What do you mean I'm going to be a widow? He says, Hashem gave him a talent. He's using it. Without it, he has no purpose. Without the talent, he has no purpose. If he has no purpose, he'll just take him away, and you'll be a widow. Sometimes Hashem gives you a talent. He gives you a talent to make money. He gives you a talent to say things. He gives you a talent to learn. He gives you a talent to do different things. If you don't use that talent to honor Hashem, you have no purpose. So Hashem is merciful and He gives you more time. More time to use that talent for His purpose. Another year another decade, another two decades, but eventually the time runs out. And eventually you're going to have to meet him and you're going to have to talk to him. And you're going to say, why didn't you use the talent that I gave you? The big bank account, the great speech, the great eyes, the great ears, the great hand, whatever he gave you. Why didn't you use it to sanctify my name? Why? You didn't have a munah that I could provide for you with it? You didn't have a munah that I could, I could do good for you through this talent. You had to steal. You had to cheat. You had to do things that were wrong. Then you are no different than the Dora De'ah that made mistake after mistake after mistake. Because despite the amount of miracles that I showed them, they still found a reason to not believe in me. Why? They always wanted something that didn't belong to them. They always wanted something that belonged to somebody else. They were never happy with what I gave them. Rabotai, it's time that we realize the most important thing you need to work on is to be happy with your own share. And the reason why is because once you're happy with whatever it is that God gave you, 
If she gave you long hair, great. If she gave you good eyes, great. If she gave you neither, great. Gave you money, great. He didn't give you, great. Give your husband, great. Give your wife, great. Give your kids, great. He didn't, great. Whatever he give you, great. Why? That's what you need. If you needed more, he'd give you more. If you needed more, he'd give you more. And the last story for the night, to give us a little chizuk of understanding of how Hashem never fails in giving us exactly what we need. Never fails. Never ever fails. You need it, he'll give it to you. You need it, he'll give it to you. You want it, it's a different story. He may or may not. But it's better to ask for things that we need instead of the things that we want, because sometimes the things we want are bad for us. Rav Nisim Yagen Shalom, his grandfather, he says, had Ruach HaKodesh, was Kodesh Kodeshim, this person. Huge, huge Rav, huge Tzaddik. But in those days, they were able to become Tzaddikim, Chachamim, but still work. Work full-time manual labor. His job was he would work with slime, with the uh, big boulders, like the, the ones they have on the beach. Huge boulders, they would take them and they would cut them, make things into them. And he says, my grandfather told me a story that he said changed his life. Even though he was an Ish Kadosh and he learned and he did and he did, he says one thing changed his entire perspective on life. What? He says one day he went to one of the, you know, they took the boulder and they cut the boulder. Now this boulder is huge. I mean, it's tons upon tons. Who knows how much these things weigh? Tons. They don't weigh them by like single digits. They weigh them by the hundreds and thousands. Huge, giant things. Now, there's no like, they're not like holy rocks. They're very, uh, they're closed. There's no holes in them usually. Anyway, they cut the thing in half. This huge, giant boulder, the size of uh, probably half this, uh, three of these, four of these tables. They cut the thing in half. And he sees in the middle, after they cut it in half, there's a hole, there's like a pocket, like a little hole, a pocket, and inside it, there's a worm swimming in water. He says, that changed my life. Why? He says, however the worm got there, the point is that Hashem even gave the worm inside the boulder that doesn't even have holes. He gave the worm food in the middle of the boulder. So why don't you think he's going to give you food? Why don't you think he's going to give you a husband or a wife or children or all the things that you need? The worm he gave. Why not you? Maybe it's because you're not doing his will. Maybe it's because you're not using what he gave you already for his sake. Maybe, just maybe, it's time for us to start checking what we have and say maybe we're actually getting a lot more than what we deserve.